For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. For a couple minutes about what I call box list. These people are my friends, but more important than that, they're people that I trust and respect. I know they'll take good care of you like they always have me. First is Steve O'Brien of Quality Computers, and whatever your computer needs from home to office, IT, intercoms, PA systems, uh, monitoring, he'll take care of you. 830-998. 4381, he's in the Fredericksburg, Giuseppe County area, but many things he can do online where you don't even have to take the computer to him, and he works all over the place. Dr. Krupa's Natural Health Hour. I am your host, Dr. Krupa, and as always, we're broadcasting from my little version of the Garden of Eden. No lady's name Eve, no snakes, and no apple trees. I'm trying to learn from history. Uh, We are on American Voice Radio. Uh, If you'd like to call in, anybody has any suggestions, guests you'd like to hear, anything at all, uh, the number is 1-800-932-1980. And if you go to our homepage, you'll see a, a banner there where you can donate and help the cause of having great radio shows uh, like all the shows that are on American Voice Radio. That would be wonderful. Tell Frank that Doc sent you that way. Uh, last week we had on um, Daniel Brigman from Numana Foods. And I hope some of you got to listen to that. It's still an archive. Uh, Great food. I I put him to the test. I tried his chili live on air. And uh, I even told him afterwards, I got to thinking, what if I don't like it? Uh, So I got lucky that I loved it. It was good food, good ingredients. Uh, Sounds like a great family company. So I hope you'll get a chance to check out Numana Foods. And... uh, During the week, some things came up about people see all these ads on the Internet, Facebook, and there's always one cure, one thing you need to do or need to take 
that cures cancer or cures this or does that. And every week I'm asked, what do you think about this pill or this product or this theory? And it never fails. They're always the kind where if you click on them to check them out, it's a six-day-long talk before they take you to the end of the road and try to sell you whatever it is they want to sell. And they're really smart. They know if they hook you in that far and they can sell a million in a country of 300 million, that they're pretty well off and they've done well. It doesn't matter if it was good or bad or lies. That's all they needed. So I look at all these things because people send them to me and they want an honest opinion, and I've never found one yet that wasn't more sales and very little health care. And people are always wanting badly for these things to be something true. And there's a very good friend of mine that is very well educated and does a lot of research, and I am always talking to him about how disappointing it is to me that they play on people's fears of whatever's wrong with you, and then they'll tell you whatever it is they say, and this is what's wrong. And this is the problem. This is what you need to fix cancer. This is what you need to fix hair loss. This is what you need for all viruses or whatever's going on. They always have an instant cure. And I always tell everybody, there's a little truth in probably everything you ever hear. Sometimes very, very little, but a little truth. And so you have to learn to sort through all the bull. But don't waste all your money buying all these books and these things they're selling. It's not fair to you. And as a doctor, I can tell you right now, there is no one single thing that works the same on everybody, ever. I have never seen it. I've addressed issues with twins, and what one helps might well help one twin, might not help the other the same way. It, it just doesn't work the way all these salespeople would like you to believe, and most of them are the equivalent of used car salesmen. And they couldn't spell health care if you gave them an hour and you brought the dictionary. So be cautious. If you're afraid something and somebody in your family's got something, be very cautious about being a Google doctor and looking it up on Google. And very cautious about letting your emotions run away with you and try all kinds of stuff, hell-bent, spending all your money, because there's plenty of people out there will take it and not give you anything back. So please, for your sake, don't fall into all those traps. And if you have a question, you can always call me. I'm in the office till 5 o'clock. Um, Monday through Thursday, and I'm here till noon on Friday. And the phone number is 832-220-6163. I don't have all the answers. I'm not got a, carrying a magic wand or a miracle worker, but I've seen a lot of miracles since we're not allowed to say we can cure anything. And I can promise you this. I'm, I'm like old Inspector Columbo, if you ever watch that show, I stay on it, and we keep plugging along, and we're going to figure it out. And everybody's different, and that's what makes being a doctor so difficult, 
because if you could be a Google doctor, nobody would have to go to medical school. You wouldn't have to learn anything. You just whenever a question popped up, you'd Google it and that'd be done. But it doesn't work that way. So be cautious. Don't let people take advantage of you. And most everything that you see out there is never, ever going to work the same for everybody, even if they discover the latest and greatest. And I'm here to tell you, there's nothing new on this earth in the way of natural health care that hasn't already been here from the beginning of time. And we probably knew about most all of it and have just forgot. Or we somebody hasn't taught us. And that's why you need doctors like myself. That brings me to another point. Many times I'll hear the words like a radio station like we're li- you're listening to right now is alternative radio or being alternative doctor. Well, it's, none of those are true. Originally, people communicated the way we're communicating now in person. And the radio shows that started off in the old days were simple and honest and down-to-earth like stations like today that you're listening to. They were here first. They're not the alternative. It was before there were bleeding-heart medias that wanted to put out an agenda instead of just tell you what was going on. And doctors like myself are certainly not an alternative because we've been around a lot longer than the pharmaceutical guys. They're the Johnny-come-lately-on-the-block. And when you're pushing something bad for people, you got to get a great marketing system because you got to convince people to take bad stuff, even when they react badly to it. As my good friend Rich says, not side effects, direct effects. And so you've got to have a great marketing system. And so one of the first things you do is try to discredit the doctors that were here long before you, and if they don't get it from your pharmacy, well, they must be terrible. Let's tell everybody that. And you'll see it on TV shows where they'll try to act like uh, a natural doctor, a doctor of chiropractic, a naturopath, uh, applied clinical nutrition, anything in that kind of doctor field isn't a real doctor because you don't use pharmaceutical stuff. Well, the only good thing about a doctor that uses the pharmaceutical stuff is he will make a lot more money than the rest of us. But to me, you almost have to have no conscience to do that because after a while, they've got to see things aren't working. So the next time somebody tells you you're looking into alternative health care, no, you're not. We're the ones that have been around the longest. We're the ones that not just science-based, but history-based, Bible-based, things learned from the beginning of time. You read the Old Testament in the Bible, and I don't care what you believe, it is a fabulous history book, and it teaches about all that kind of stuff. Uh, Noah was taught many things in the way of health and preventives, and it's been around forever. So don't let people try to fool you and tell you that you're going to an alternative and the people are quacks and they don't use modern medicine. Uh, I've had people in my own family, and I still do, that will take a medication from the pharmacy 
that is destroying them and they will tell me I know it's bad for me and I know what it's doing to me is hurting me more and they'll they'll pay in one case two hundred and fifty three hundred dollars a prescription out of their pocket and they keep taking it and they know me and I can't for the life of me figure out why your attitude would be well I know Dr. Krupa he's in the family and he's telling me it's so bad. I read the side effects. It's bad. It's making me sicker. I feel it. I'm having all kinds of problems, so I know it's bad, but I'm going to take it because it came from the pharmacy. Uh, we lost somebody in my family years ago that I loved and cared about and offered to take care of just because they were in my family, and they chose to ignore me. Plus, they ridiculed me a lot and put me down for the kind of doctor that I am and ended up dying when I'm sure if I would have been given a chance, I could have kept them here more years. I, I don't know how, how long, I don't know what would have happened, but I truly believe that I could have helped tremendously, but I wasn't given the opportunity. So... You have to understand, a lot of people, a patient just told me the other day, it's conditioning. They have been conditioned that if it didn't come from the pharmacy, it must not be good, and everybody else is a quack, and if it's natural, it certainly can't work, and that's what they want you to believe. But the next time you watch a TV commercial about a medication and they prance some sexy model across the screen... Read the fine print. Pay attention to the negatives they're talking about. And then if you know somebody taking that medicine, ask them, what are you doing to yourself? Have you not looked it up? It's funny. People will Google everything, and they'll think they're a doctor, but they won't Google the crap they're taking, and they'll take it and waste their money and hurt themselves, and I believe shorten their life, and it's very sad. So... Anyway, that's just a couple of the things that came up. Another thing, we live in a society, and it's been this way for a long time, but it's gotten worse, where if something swells up like the tonsils, take them out. Hit it with heavy antibiotics and take it out. If a lymph node is swollen, right away it's cancer, it's something bad, and we need to do surgery, we need to do a biopsy, and they act like everything that swells up is is doing something abnormal, and it's not. Tonsils swell up because they're fighting an infection. The, the spleen is a very, very big part of the immune system. And in, in Western medicine, that's the medicine over on this side of the world with the pharmaceutical guys running the show. The spleen is like the most ignored vital organ in the body, and it's a multi-purpose organ. It's probably one of the most important storehouses of materials useful in the immune system. And it's part of the lymphatic system. It's a lymphatic organ, I guess you would say. And it's very important when you're fighting things like a staph infection. But uh, it just gets ignored. And a lot of times 
if you've got an infection that just isn't responding to anything else, and you you know you've just tried all kinds of stuff, you may find that you need to do something to help the spleen, and the spleen's also involved in uh, making the red blood cells and recycling the bad, and um, uh, it's it's just very very important in the body, and they act like we don't even need to talk about it. I've heard of people having car accidents and they just take it out. Um, very very sad. But the spleen is pretty important. If you have a swollen lymph node or a tonsil, these are things doing what they're supposed to do. And one of the doctors when I was in medical school, who was old school doctor. He knew how to do a lot of things. And he taught me that, first off, antibiotics mostly killed just the good bacteria and didn't do too much to the bad. And they didn't kill the surface bacteria on things like a tonsil. So he said if they gave somebody antibiotics, usually they ended up with all kinds of stomach pain from killing off the good bacteria and messing up their gut flora. And it didn't kill the surface bacteria on the tonsils. So what would happen is the infection would look like it died. Then it would come back quicker and stronger each time. And pretty soon they want to take the tonsils out because it's acting up. It's not behaving. Well, it was trying to tell you. It was the check engine light saying, you crazy fools, you're killing the good guys, and you're not hurting the bad guys hardly at all and you're weakening the immune system, and this is what we're trying to tell you, but they just took out the, the light bulb. I mean, if you went to a mechanic and you said, my check engine light's coming on, and all he did was take out the light bulb, well, you're going to break down somewhere, and the same with the body. It's trying to talk to us, and we need to listen, and your doctor needs to listen to you when you have the check engine light come on, like a swollen tonsil or swollen lymph node. And a lot of times with these infections, we need something that addresses the spleen. Now, with standard process, one of my favorite products is Imbuplex, and it has liver, thymus, and spleen glandulars, which address these kind of things. The thymus stimulates T cells and fights infection. The spleen for that spleen to, to stimulate and fight infection and help with the lymphatic system and all the things that might be swollen and the, an infection that maybe isn't going away because it's in the spleen. And then it's got all the vitamins and minerals and um, everything else that you need to fight things off. So it's a pretty good product. Today, I've lost count of how many people and a lot of them, nutritional, natural doctors, doctors of chiropractic, um, naturopaths, you name it, that are pushing what they call um, antioxidants. And everybody's acting like if you're not taking these antioxidants, that it's going to be bad. Well, the truth is, if they really did all this antioxidation, we'd probably die because oxidation is the body's natural way of getting rid of um, the, fr the free radicals, I mean, the getting rid of the toxins. 
The free radicals are one of the ways your body eliminates and destroys toxins and other nasty materials that build up, and we need to get rid of them. And oxidation, putting oxygen, is a natural way of the body to process things. Things oxygenate and oxidize, and, and they go through a cycle, and they move on. And uh, today, most of the stuff that's being sold is in truckloads, and it's synthetic chemicals called antioxidants, and they're supposed to free, stop the free radicals, and, and you know, it's going to help you. And the only people that are making out on this deal is uh, manufacturers. They're all getting rich, and it serves no purpose. Um, many Americans today are suffering from a lack of oxygen, especially if they're on a blood pressure medicine. The heart is being slowed down, and it's not allowed to contract properly, so it can't pump the blood through the lungs and oxygenate properly. And so true uh, antioxidant things are happening that way that are not in a good way. Now, there are natural whole food products that also do some natural antioxidant stuff, but they provide nutrients and, and they work as a preservative in plants. Like most of the antioxidants are preservatives uh, protecting plants and their nutritional complexes from the sun, oxygen damage. Uh, you'll see in a lot of junk vitamins, synthetic crap, uh, for vitamin E, they'll call it tocopherols, um, mixed tocopherols, alpha, gamma, all, all different. There's four different tocopherols, and it's pretty much the eggshell protecting the egg in nature. But they'll they'll use that and call it vitamin E, but vitamin E is a complex. And vitamin C is the same thing. It's got ascorbic acid, and it's, it, it's like the eggshell protecting the egg. And most companies are selling cheap stuff out there, over-the-counter vitamins and minerals and so-called health food stores, and you'll see very, very high dosages of ascorbic acid as vitamin C. But even the gentleman sent Gorgie back in 1937 that discovered ascorbic acid realized that it wasn't vitamin C because when he treated bleeding patients with ascorbic acid by itself, they didn't get well. But when he treated them with natural vitamin C, paprika, things like that, that had natural vitamin C in it, they healed. That's where the British sailors got the nickname Limeys. They were out at sea for long periods of time, and they would develop bleeding. And when they hit, I forget what island they went to, and they started eating the limes, all that natural vitamin C cured that bleeding, and they got the nickname Limeys, but it was natural vitamin C, and that's a wonderful thing, and it is a complicated thing. Man cannot make vitamin E or vitamin C, but man does know how to make synthetic ascorbic acid, and man knows how to make tocopherols and also how to pull them out of natural vitamin E. Even if I gave you natural ascorbic acid, which there is some in natural vitamin C, it would be like putting the eggshell on your table and throwing the egg in the trash. Not very smart. 
So you have to understand antioxidants are not vitamins. And the, the antioxidants in nature that are protecting the plants, like the tocopherols and the ascorbic acids, are part of a whole food complex. Now, chlorophyll, very interesting. Chlorophyll can be can act as a, an antioxidant, and it is a superior, superior product. It is just a wonderful thing. But it's a whole food nutritional complex, and so it contains natural vitamin A. It contains natural vitamin E. It, it, it's a chlorophyll is kind of like the green plant blood, the the inside the plant. And it converts energy from the sun for us. So that sun uh, works with the plant and the chlorophyll, and we get the benefit of the energy when we eat the plants. Without it, we couldn't exist, no matter how many antioxidant supplements we were taking or buying or shoving in ourselves. We just couldn't do it. But it is very different from the antioxidant chemicals that they're calling vitamins. And it just doesn't work. Chlorophyll is very important uh, to maintain strong bones. While, while everybody takes a lot of calcium and boron and all these minerals today, chlorophyll gets overlooked, but it is a very important uh, part of bone health and chlorophyll activates a protein called osteo, uh, osteo, osteocalcin. And that is a critical ingredient to transform minerals into the bone. So without adequate chlorophyll, the green plant material, mega mineral supplements for osteoporosis, would simply flood your kidneys and you'd have kidney problem and stones. So that's one of the things you're going to see is if people take a lot of these synthetic vitamins and minerals, they're going to end up having problems like kidney stones, maybe even gallstones, because the liver and the kidneys work to get rid of all this stuff. So not a good thing. Uh, don't fall to the antioxidant thing, because real antioxidant activity comes from whole foods, not mega doses of all that stuff everybody's selling, and we don't want to shut off the free radical control in the body because that's what gets rid of toxins and poisons and, and all kinds of stuff. And if you do take all that stuff, well, they always recommend you better be eating a lot of natural green leafy vegetables. So we don't want an oxygen deficiency, and if the antioxidants really were working, that's probably what it would cause us. Uh, Anyway, uh, we will be right back after the break. We are just about to that point, so please stick with us. If you'd like to call in, the number is 1-800-932-1980, and we're on American Voice Radio. Thank you very much.
I like to talk for a couple minutes about what I call Doxlist. And these people are my friends, but more important than that, they're people that I trust and respect. I know they'll take good care of you like they always have me. First is Steve O'Brien of Quality Computers. And whatever your computer needs, from home to office, IT, intercoms, PA systems, uh, monitoring, he'll take care of you. 830-998-4381. He's in the Fredericksburg, Giuseppe County area. But many things he can do online where you don't even have to take the computer to him. And he works all over the place. have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971 when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. I would like to tell you about the only truly natural dog and cat food I have found anywhere. Most all companies add a synthetic vitamin mineral pack to their dry or kibble food. Nature's logic is different. With all natural ingredients and nothing man-made added, their owner, Scott Freeman, worked for another pet food company but decided he wanted to do things right. So he started Nature's Logic. You can check them out at naturelogic.com. You will find online and local stores where you can find their products. I spent a lot of time trying to find an all-natural pet food, and Nature's Logic was the only one out there. Give your pets the best and check out naturelogic.com. Your pets will be glad you did. They also have many other natural pet products to try. Welcome to Dr. Krupa's Natural Health Hour here on American Voice Radio. And if you'd like to call in, the number is 1-800-932-1980. We'd love to hear from you. 
We were talking a little bit about the so-called antioxidant craze that's going on in the world. And for a long time now, everybody and their brothers pushing antioxidants and talking about free radicals being terrible. And I don't know how many of you have heard what I'm talking about, but what I see is that free radicals are a natural thing and the body's starving for oxygen. And if we could actually shut down all the free radicals so they couldn't do their job, we'd have less oxygen. And most of that stuff everybody's pushing isn't natural. It's not good for you. So I think that's the way to look at it. I think it would be a lot healthier. And uh, I don't think that you want to spend your money on a bunch of antioxidants. Now, if you want to take natural whole food processes, and supplements. Um, the companies that I use are standard process and many herb. I like them the best of all. But, you know, you, you have to think about where you're wasting your money if you're just trying to buy antioxidants and fight that free radical thing that everybody's telling you about. One of the things I wanted to talk about a little bit is today, I've, I've mentioned this before, too many people play Google Doctor and they get on the Internet, and the next thing they know, they know everything about a certain subject. Well, I tell people all the time, I am the doctor, and I spend most of the time feeling really stupid because it seems like every time you think you know something and you learn a little more, you realize that the more I learn, the dumber I am in, in, in perspective to all that. And so whoever said that sentence many moons ago was right because you're always learning. And and I think education is a wonderful thing to put you back in your place. If you ever think you know too much or you get a little too cocky, then you're going to learn something new that's going to spin your head around and uh, make you talk to yourself. But... I, I personally don't like when I have patients sometimes will tell me, well, we looked it up on the Internet and didn't tell you we're taking this and this and this because we thought you might not approve. And I remind them, number one, it's not about whether I approve or not that means anything. I work for the patient. I want the best for you. And if you're doing Google doctoring, and you're you're taking something that's bad for you, then I'm going to advise you and let you make your own decision. But if you don't tell me everything, there's no way I can help you and work for you to the fullest of what you deserve. Uh, I remember I was helping a gentleman a few years ago, and he must have been getting better and better because he called me one night and he said, Doc, I just wanted to tell you, you saved my life. Well, it wasn't anything that drastic, but he said that, I, you know, just to be nice. And uh, I, I appreciated that. And then I didn't hear from him for quite a while. And I ran into his wife one day, and then she had called the office on another time. And... Uh, I had some things I wanted to suggest that I thought would help from the last time we had communicated, but she was telling me that uh, she'd already done some research 
and put him on some things, and she figured I wouldn't approve, so she didn't tell me. Well, the things she was putting him on were extra testosterone and DHEA and things like that, that if you don't have a pretty good grasp of what's going on and what can happen, it can do a lot of harm. If you give a man testosterone and that's not what his chemical reactions need in the metabolism department there, it can turn, the body can turn that into estrogen. Now you've got a man that was already having some issues and that extra testosterone has got converted to estrogen. Not a pretty picture. He's not going to be very happy. I don't care if you're a family member or not. If you put him on something that's not good for him because you Google doctored it, you know, and it, it just blows my mind. Um, I, I listen to the patients and I say it all the time. The patients make you look smart because they know their body. I don't care how smart the doctor thinks he is. You never know the body like the patient. And if you listen to them and if they pay attention to their body, they will help you look very smart. So it's important when that check engine light comes on that they pay attention and you listen. But anyway, it does happen. People will tell you that uh, this, this happens all the time. It drives me absolutely crazy. They'll say something happened in their life, and so right away they quit taking whatever I may have them on. Well, I always tell them, please, don't stop anything. Call me. Let's talk about it. I don't think I've ever had something that I've given somebody cause an issue. I mean, anything is possible. You'd be a fool to think that nothing could ever react funny. But because I use natural whole food supplements and herbal formulas, I don't run into that. But people will decide all of a sudden that they know best, and instead of calling you, they just shut down taking whatever they were taking, and that's not good for them, and it's not good for you. So if you're the doctor, convey, you know, Please don't do that. And in my case, I, I tell patients all the time, please call me before you make a decision like that. You could have, you know, we could have been turning the tide. You may have been seeing an effect where the body was healing and you read it wrong. Uh, very sad, you know, that will happen all the time. I, I also get cases where people will call you up and I guess they think they're doing antibiotics or something, but they want to save them and they'll call me up and it might be a year later and they'll say, you remember way back when you were treating me for whatever? And I'll say, yes. And they said, well, it got better, but um, I think it's back. And I said, okay, well, let's take a look at what we were doing back then and what worked. And, and they said, oh, I still got everything on the shelf. And I said, wait a minute. You couldn't have taken very much if you've still got it on the shelf all this time later. And they say, well, when I got a little better, I didn't want to take any more. And I said, well, 
that means we never actually healed it or corrected the problem. And so you decided on your own and without talking to me, and again, that, that leaves the doctor kind of walking around in the blind. And then the patient doesn't know. Uh, I see this a lot with uh, patients who think they're lactose intolerant. Now, I, I have met a lot of people who if they drank store-bought milk, which is pasteurized, and it's a dead food, that could not drink that and their body reacted. I have never met a patient yet that told me they were lactose intolerant and we had them try raw milk and had any kind of a problem. Raw milk is a live, healthy food and pasteurized milk is a dead food. So for your body to react to a pasteurized food or a liquid of any kind, I understand that. Your body's smart enough to say, this doesn't belong in me. What are you feeding me dead stuff for? But when we put them on raw milk, raw milk products, they always did fine. But because they decided they were lactose intolerant, they quit drinking or eating things that might have been good for them. And instead of telling you, they just made their own decision. So I always tell patients, Talk to the doctor. Let me let me learn from you. Help me to look smart. Because without you giving me feedback, I don't have a clue. And, you know, that, that's the greatest tool for a doctor is the feedback from the patient. Because the patient doesn't have to be a doctor. They don't have to even study any kind of nutrition or pay any attention to anything like that but they'll know their body. They'll be able to tell you this never happened or my body's never done this or I noticed this is going on and it worried me and at first I thought it would go away, but they'll tell you. They'll let you look sharp and and they'll make sure that you have the information if you'll listen to them. Now, I have had patients tell me that they've gone to doctors who wouldn't listen and they just wanted to tell them what to take and what to do, and the attitude was, me, the doctor, you not. And if that's if a doctor is that way, I suggest you run very fast from him or her and go to somebody that will listen to you. Because it's hard for people to remember that we, the doctor, work for you. You're the boss. I don't have to like every single thing you want to do, but I will advise you to what I think is the best, and I will care for you like it was me. And if you make a decision that I don't like, well, that's your decision, but at least I know I put out the best information that I had for you. So it, it's, it's just an important communication like in every facet of your life is so important, but especially when it comes to your health care. Now, I wanted to touch on uh, lupus a little bit. You probably have heard that term lupus. It's another one of the things they call an autoimmune disease, and nobody can figure out what it is. Um, some of the literature says it's poorly defined, poorly diagnosed, and terribly treated. Uh, they, they call it lupus 
uh, if it's just attacking the skin and then they've got systemic lupus, if it's uh, attacking organs of the body and stuff like that. But the skin's an organ too, so you could say it's systemic no matter what it's doing. But it, it primarily affects the skin. And the word lupus, I forget if it's Latin or Italian, but it means wolf because a lot of times they get this red rashy thing that looks like a wolf on their face. And that's where the name came from. Now, as you might have guessed, the pharmaceutical side of life, they like to treat it with corticosteroids, prednisone, aspirin, anti-malaria medicine, uh, antimicrobial drugs like uh, Plaquenil, uh, methotrexate, they like to do surgery and remove the spleen, and that's why I talked about the spleen earlier. Spleen's kind of important. Now, there was a doctor, I don't know if he's still practicing, but uh, he discovered, and it just so happens to be that he was using standard process and many other products like me, but he saw about 6,000 patients with lupus. And what he found is that when he treated the spleen, and, he's, you know, you can treat it with spleen, desiccated spleen, spleen PMG, which is a protomorphogen. Um, you can also treat it with the Immuplex. It's got spleen glandulars. And 4-2-B12, which is a standard process product, that it cleared up. And he would do this anywhere from 3 to 12 months, but it cleared up. So the spleen, really, really important in the immune system and very important when they talk about autoimmune kind of stuff. So, you know, if, if you've got something like that for a whole lot cheaper than you could go the pharmaceutical right, route, you can do some desiccated spleen from standard process and the 4-till B12 from standard process and uh, we would see some great improvements. So if anybody's interested, anybody you know that has lupus and you would like to address that, uh, just give me a call, 832-220-6163. We have a program called Patient Direct, and what that is, instead of me having to maintain uh, a very full cabinet here, and I do have quite a few things, but not as full as it had to be before, Patients don't have to come to me to get everything, or I don't have to mail everything to them from here. Uh, we set you up a patient direct account, and I give you a code that shows them that I'm your doctor because standard process and Medier make sure that you have a doctor. They can make a lot more money just doing over-the-counter sales, Internet sales, but they care so much about healthcare that they want a doctor or healthcare professional involved in your care, and if you don't have one, they'll find one for you. So that's important, and then we set up that account, and then I'm prescribing and, and you're giving feedback, and I'll tell you what, what I would like you to order and make my suggestions, and then you can go and order those things, and they'll send them right to your door, and that way we only have to worry about shipping once. Then what I usually do is once the products come in, I'll have patients contact me, let me know they got in, 
And seven days after they start taking the products, I want to hear from them or see them in some form or fashion so we can see what their body is telling us on what road we should take from there. And, uh, again, that comes down to the communication and listening. And, you know, to be a doctor, you got to kind of throw that ego out the door because the patient will make you look smart. You don't need to impress them. You don't need to try to razzle-dazzle them. Let them tell you what's going on, and then we'll troubleshoot and figure it out. One of the nice things about being a maintenance electrician long before I became a doctor is I learned how to troubleshoot from some of the finest people that you can imagine over the years. And then I just converted that into now troubleshooting and figuring out what's wrong with people. And like I always say, we're not allowed to say we can cure anything, but I have been truly blessed with watching a lot of miracles. So, again, with lupus, uh, this doctor found out he saw over 6,000 patients. That's a pretty good batting average. That with desiccated spleen or spleen like an uh, amuplex and the and protomorphogen spleen PMG uh, and Fortil B12, that these products helped a lot. So he learned a lot, and we can learn an awful lot just by uh, listening to him and not having to you know, learn stuff over and over. But it's an autoimmune type disease, they think, and um, it's classified under the stealth uh, diseases because it acts like rheumatoid arthritis, there's chronic pain, there's fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue. And uh, one of the things in the literature is they say lupus can be a disastrous disease, and they don't know what causes it. But that's because they're always looking for a medical cause and a medical cure. Now, there's been lots of things happen where people have figured out that uh, certain things had something to do with, like, maybe too many carbs, too many sugars. Uh, sometimes dairy was involved. It was a problem. And they found out if a lot of people would cut out uh, the carbs and the sugars in particular, that they would see some improvement. And I, I remember reading uh, in uh, one thing, there was a lady that had gone to her rheumatologist and was put on all kinds of medications and nothing worked. And uh, she finally went to more of a protein power kind of diet where she stayed away from the carbs, the sugars, uh, did the um, um, 4-2-B-12 and the spleen desiccated and saw everything clear up. So she knew real quickly that, and she experimented. I think there was a time where she did some carbs and sugars before bed and woke up the next morning miserable. So she knew that this had been triggering it for a long time. So they're not really sure you know, what what causes some of these things? Um, it could be uh, one of the things they have found out was after a uh, very heavy, powerful dose of antibiotics, especially when there was more than one prescription involved, that 
symptoms of lupus started up. So maybe the antibiotics destroyed the immune system, you know, beat it up bad enough and that caused some of that. It's really hard to say. But uh, we do know for sure that the body does not like pharmaceutical drugs. It doesn't like antibiotics beating it up. And the body seems to pay the price for it. The lupus is in a in that stealth diseases, and they're probably all a lot alike. There's probably a point where we could go back and say, well, yeah, there was high doses of antibiotics or steroids or something or a combination of things. And what you see is fibromyalgia, rheumatoid arthritis, scleroderma, Hashimoto's disease, myelitis, uh, fibrocystitis, and all kinds of things with the heart, muscle, uh, inflammation, swelling, breakouts, and a lot of this is probably because of some kind of a treatment, something bad in the food, the water, the antibiotics, medications that people did that messed everything up. And then the body goes into that autoimmune system, um, beating itself up, I guess you could say. So anyway, if you know somebody with lupus, there's a lot that it looks like we can have great success with. Uh, I've done different things over the years, and again, everybody's different. So a couple of things that I mentioned tonight might work for one patient, might work better for another, might not work at all for somebody. That's why we listen. That's why we troubleshoot. That's why the doctor needs to work for you, and you need to give good feedback and pay attention. So if your body talks, you listen, you tell the doctor, he listens, and we improve your health, which is at the end of the day what's supposed to be happening. So let's see here. If I miss anything on my notes, we're going to touch a little bit next week on ADD and ADHD. Um, there are a lot of nutritional deficiencies that we have found when the kids are bouncing off the walls. I have a lot of experience with this over the years because here in Texas, there was a time frame where the nurse would send the child home and every child that, was, that would see a doctor and was put on any kind of medication, whether natural or pharmaceutical, counted as a disability and that school got disability money for that child. And finally, the state of Texas got wise and they changed that law, but I'm sure the schools and the nurses were doing just what they were taught and the government would give them more money for each incident and um, not a good thing. And so we had a lot of kids doing Ritalin and Adderall that they thought they were focused more but what it was, they were so dumbed down, and the brain could only focus on one item, kind of like a horse at the racetrack with blinders on, that they thought they were focused better. And for some kids that didn't need it, I mean, didn't uh, have any reason to be on a medication ever, it actually worked just the opposite and kind of kicked them into higher gear, and they loved that. It was like doing a some kind of a, a hit of a natural speed that the drug world talks about, and uh, that wasn't a good thing. So we'll touch on some of that next week. There's some standards in the, in the herbal and nutritional vitamin and 
herbal and uh, minerals that help and things that we found missing. Diet, very important. So anyway, we're about ready to wrap it up this evening. As always, thank you very much for the honor and the privilege of coming into your life, working with your health care and being there for you and you allowing me to be part of all that and taking time out of your week to hear what we're talking about. And for those of you that do call me and email me, uh, it is really fabulous to be part of your life and you're part of my family, and that, that means an awful lot to me. So please, as always, uh, be very, very quick to listen slow to speak, and may God bless you with health and happiness, and we will see you next Wednesday, hopefully. Seems the love I've known has always been the most destructive kind. Guess that's why now I feel so old before my time. Yes. obligations or relationship problems have you feeling stressed out when life is too much to handle use apothecary herbs emotional stress formula feel calm and more in control with herbs especially combined to provide the organic nutrition your system needs to help you cope complete instructions for maximum benefit and a money-back guarantee you've waited long enough call apothecary herbs now toll free 866-229-3663 that's eight six six two two nine three six six three international callers dial seven oh four eight seven five eight zero one zero or order online at the three w's dot the powerherbs dot com Pandemics will be a part of our future. The question is, how do we protect ourselves? Are you willing to put your trust in an untested vaccine hoping it kills mutating viruses? Remember, in 1976, health officials tried to inoculate Americans with swine flu, and there was a 300% death rate in those inoculated, and millions were paid out in damages. God gave you a sophisticated immune system, and in times of need, you can make it 10 times stronger. So there's no need to panic. Just get prepared. Call Apothecary Herbs to order your upgraded pandemic kit. You will have eight professional strength formulas offering broad-spectrum immune-boosting protection. Take a stand, have a plan, have peace, and request your pandemic kit today. Or take your chances with the bad boys. Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free, 866-229-3663, or online, thepowerherbs.com. get older, they are subject to hormone imbalance. And when this happens, men can experience osteoporosis, memory loss, irritability, 
blood sugar imbalance, weight gain, enlarged prostate, erectile dysfunction, and risk of stroke. The human endocrine system manufactures hormones. Why not feed your system plant nutrition to make the hormones that are right for you? For centuries, these herbs have been used to balance the male hormone system. Men, you've waited long enough for the male hormone formula. Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free, 866-229-3663 for the male hormone formula. 866-229-3663 or online at thepowerherbs.com. 866-229-3663 where your health care options just became endless. Wendy Wilson, hope you had a great day. Here on Herb Talk, we're going to empower you. That's what we like to do here. Uh, thanks for joining us on the American Voice Radio Network. Magical engineer Frank and I got a great show. Um, we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, vaccines because, you know, we're going to start getting ready for the fall because it'll be here before you know it. So we're going to be talking a little bit about vaccines today. And if we get time, maybe some other things, but we're going to hit it hard today and get ready, start you know, getting your brain thinking about things and getting ready uh, so that you can have options out there. And uh, we also have a quack report. But before we get to all that great stuff, big salute and semper fi to our righteous men and women in uniform, lifting them up in prayer, as always. And um, seek the Lord's face. I hope you are, too. I'm asking for righteous men of valor to lead this nation, to protect this nation, protect all that believe. And I got a little something to read you from the devotional today, which I think is neat. It's a it's paraphrase from Psalms 21, John 7, and Psalms 103. And it goes like this. Bring me the sacrifice of your time, a most precious commodity. In this action-addicted world, few of my children take time to sit quietly in my presence. But for those who do, Blessings flow like streams of living water. I, the one from whom all blessings flow, am also blessed by our time together. So this is a deep mystery. Do not try to phantom it. Instead, glorify me by delighting in me. Enjoy me now and forever. Right, and don't forget, he is the one, and doesn't mean Obama, he, Lord God. The God of creation, the Holy One of Israel, uh, seek the Lord's face, Father of lights, King of kings, Lord of lords, King potentate, Captain of the host. Many names, but it's just one God, and we love him. 
So let him know and speak his face and mind the time. It grows short. And without further ado, let's do the crack report. Okay, thanks, Frank. First up in the cracker, um, plastic um, tea bags. Have you seen those in some of those herbal teas? You know, uh, it's kind of a new thing. Uh, instead of the paper tea bags, um, it's the um, plastic. Some of them look like pyramid shapes. You know, supposedly help the tea flow better in its infusion making. Well, a recent article in the Atlantic raised some questions about the plastic used in those tea bags. Uh, so the newer tea bags can be made from a variety of plastics. Some are nylon, some are called viscose rayon, and some are made from um, PVC. Uh, so uh, they're concerned. People are concerned about you know drinking tea that may be steeped through heated plastic. So now the paper tea bags they say could be just as worse um, because. Uh, some of the, the paper is treated with a compound. Uh, it's an epoxy resin called epichlorohydrin, and it's considered a potential carcinogen by the National Institutes of Occupational Safety and Health. And besides making its way into your tea bags, it can also be found in coffee filters, water filters, and sausage casings. Hmm. All right, moving along in the crack report. Uh, well, since we're going to be talking about vaccines tonight, um, uh, the UK health authorities have announced a new seasonal flu vaccine made by so so Sanofi Pasteur uh, of the UK contains um, a fourth uh, strain of influenza. So typically, we've had two strain flu shots, and then most recently, in the last couple of years, it's three strains of different flus, and now they're adding a fourth one. So there are three main types of influenza viruses, and each type can mutate and change from year to year. So there's literally thousands of possible strains of flu. Uh, so, you know, picking just a few uh, is a guessing game. Also, uh, the vaccine uh, from England is approved for children as young as 36 months, and we're going to get into some of this this evening on why that's not a good idea. All right, last but not least in the quack report, um, anybody out there, smokers, 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 anybody smoking? Uh, well, here's according to a recent study, the U.S. makes the most dangerous cigarettes globally. Uh, the most cancer-causing chemicals are found in U.S. brand cigarettes. Uh, U.S. cigarettes have more what they call TSNAs, or uh, it's called tobacco-specific nitrosamines, uh, and... Um, more than the, the foreign-made or overseas-made cigarettes. So if you're a smoker in the U.S., uh, you're inhaling three times more uh, cancer-causing chemicals with each puff compared to if you get uh, cigarettes in Canada or Australia, for instance. So why is U.S. tobacco more dangerous? Well, there's extra tobacco-specific nitrosamines. These are major cancer-causing substances in the tobacco, so uh, U.S. cigarettes Probably it's the different type of tobacco that's being used, um, the curing process, and the fertilizers as well that are on the tobacco that can be influencing the levels. So Americans are smoking far deadlier cigarettes than are found in other parts of the world. And if you're trying to quit, you might want to look at a product called Smoker's Helper. Give your willpower the edge without toxicity and less expense. 
and it's at thepowerherbs.com. Check it out. And that wraps the quack report. All righty. Thank you, Frank. Well, we're going to be talking how the flu shot will really risk one major organ, definitely, of the body, and it's the brain. That's right. Now, in recent years, uh, we've seen more reports on the adverse events caused by vaccines, including the flu shot. Now, the CDC's annual report shows an increased percentage of the American population rolling up their sleeves to get their flu shot. So in 2011, it was 43% of the population, but by 2015, it became 52%. So the goal of the CDC is a 90% saturation point for vaccines for the masses, specifically the flu shot. So the CDC's flu vaccine coverage chart, if you go to their website, shows that more children than vaccinated uh, are vaccinated than adults in the United States. Now, if you have signed up for the newsletters uh, at thepowerherbs.com, uh, you're going to get this chart um, and some other interesting information regarding uh, this topic for your edification. So if you haven't signed up for the uh, newsletters, you can go to the powerherbs.com website and click on books and newsletters and sign up. It's free. Uh, and they go out each week, so check that out. Okay, so the CDC has this chart, and more children are vaccinated than adults in the United States. However, there's this push by the pharmaceutical companies and the government to change that. The pharmaceutical companies are aggressively pursuing the adult vaccine market, and that also includes pregnant women. So looking at the data, you know what I'm seeing? I'm seeing that pandemic scare tactics are translating into more people getting vaccines. So we're going to take a look at the risks that we take when we agree to take a vaccine. Uh, so basically what we see is, is this all geared for marketing. The pharmaceutical companies and the federal government can outspend everyone when it comes to pushing products through marketing campaigns. So the numbers also suggest that fear is a real good motivator to push vaccines, and a majority of Americans are not investigating treatments before they get them. So the success of the influenza campaigns is really mass marketing and making the flu shot available outside of the physician's office. So offering free flu shots to senior citizens at drugstores when they come pick up their medications is another way to mass flu shot coverage. Uh, that's why it's growing. Let me read you this quote by Dr. Joseph Mercola. He said, the CDC states that the annual flu vaccine is the best way to avoid catching the seasonal flu, but what many fail to realize is that there's no there's virtually no valid scientific evidence to support it in either its effectiveness or its safety. So, and that's what we've been hearing from more and more physicians who do check it out. Well, let me, let me talk to you about, I'm going to tell you a story about a nurse by the name of Joan and what happened to her. Uh, but first, the Cochrane Database Review is a top-notch scientific assessing entity in the United States. And it has consistently found uh, that the seasonal flu vaccine is pretty much worthless against protecting against influenza, and it also puts patients at health risk. 
Now, this Connecticut RN that I want to tell you about, she held, or she, she does hold two master degrees. She was the nursing professor at Southern Connecticut University, and she experienced a life-changing moment after getting a flu shot at work. Her name is Joan, and in 2008, the flu shot pretty much destroyed her life. So within a month, Joan became very ill, and within two months was completely paralyzed. And Joan had, um, well, what she had done is contracted the Guillain-Barre syndrome from the flu vaccine. So Joan was a vibrant, middle-aged professional nurse. She taught nursing. She hiked. She loved sewing. She played with her grandchildren. And now she's unable to function without constant care. Now, while she was in the hospital, she also had two strokes that were brought about by the disease the flu shot manifested. So her family struggles to provide for her, even with medical insurance coverage provided by the university, and Joan has spent her pension on her out-of-pocket medical care expenses. She is now dependent on her daughter and son-in-law, and the hospital medical team that took care of her reported she had endured brain damage from the flu vaccine and terrible nerve pain. So hospital staff also told Joan's family that they see this damage frequently from flu shot treatments. So which means doctors and hospitals are not reporting these devastating effects from flu vaccines to the vaccine adverse event reporting system. This is also why medical professionals are fighting the mandates that they get vaccinated to keep their jobs. So Joan's life was destroyed by a treatment she was told would be good for her and would protect her. And her family stated Joan was never informed the vaccine could do this to her. The literature only asks patients if they ever had Guillain-Barre syndrome before. So the family also had to stop hospital staff from giving Joan additional flu vaccines while she was there. So more on Joan's story you can, be, uh, can be found at, on YouTube. And, of course, if you signed up for the newsletter, you would have gotten the YouTube hot link for that. And a uh, very interesting story from Joan and her family there. Well, let me read you this quote from the Cochrane Database Review from 2006 to 2010. It says, there is no evidence that vaccinating healthcare workers prevents influenza in elderly residents in long-term care facilities. Neither type injected or nasal spray vaccine was 36% particularly good at preventing flu-like illness caused by other types of viruses at 33% respectively. So there's a 3% difference. Big deal. All right. Let me uh, talk a bit about the pregnancy thing and the flu shots, which is, you know, becoming an issue, because a lot of health experts that understand the vaccine industry are declaring it is very risky to give flu vaccines to women during pregnancy. So at the very least, it causes an inflammatory response, and at the worst, it puts the unborn child at greater risk of developing serious neurological illnesses after birth. So the field of neuroscience understands that when pregnant women experience an illicit immune system response with C-reactive proteins from vaccine-induced inflammation, there is an increased risk to the child. Here's a quote from Dr. William Blaylock, a neurologist, who says, vaccinating pregnant women is not a minor risk. It's well-documented fact that neuroscience 
in neuroscience that eliciting an immune response during pregnancy increases the risk of autism and schizophrenia in the offspring by 7 to 14-fold. Wow. You know, I once interviewed here on Herb Talk uh, Live Dr. Barbara Halk. You may have caught the interview. She's a well-known psychiatrist of the Halk Institute of Missouri. And at the time, Dr. Halk told me of scientific research that was revealing that women who are
some mixed messages, you know, because doctors tell women to be vaccinated so they don't get the flu during their pregnancy. And, uh, and then on the CDC's website, there are tips for pregnant women on how to protect themselves and their unborn baby. Some of the things the CDC tells women to avoid are things like toxic chemicals, like cleaning solvents, chemical fumes, heavy metals like lead and mercury, which they say are found in insecticides, and paint. But they fail to include the mercury, 50% by volume, in thermosol, the preservative in flu vaccines. Of course, pharmaceutical companies claim they make a thermosol-free flu vaccine for infants and pregnant women, but women are often not informed about it or are offered it. Well, let's look at this Shanghai study. <laughs> Going to the Asian continent, well, in 2014, a new drug study on the safety of childhood vaccines revealed serious adverse reactions and death. They reported more than 500,000 children are hospitalized, of which 42% were directly associated with vaccines. So the reason they were at the hospital was because they were injected. So the adverse events ranged from skin rashes to deadly reactions like anaphylactic shock and death. So the research is important because the reports came from doctors, pharmacists, and various health professionals and only a third from consumers. So the Shanghai study also had some interesting data, which was drugs and vaccines. So the more drugs um, uh, and vaccines, the more dangerous, they said, for the very young. Okay, so drugs and vaccines, more dangerous if you're, you know, the very young. Also gender, they said males were 60% more likely to be adversely affected by vaccines than the 40% of females. And there's interactions. They said the more drugs a child is exposed to or is taking, uh, it, it increases the risk of serious reactions when they get vaccinated. Also, vaccine reactions are severely underreported. They said one in seven gets reported. And China has 15 different kinds of childhood vaccines compared to 11 different kinds in America. And they say this may be causing their acute adverse reaction rate. And lastly, they say acute reactions noted were brain inflammation like encephalitis, immune dysfunction, paralysis, the Guillain-Barre syndrome, respiratory arrest, shock, and death. All right, let me read you this quote by Dr. Kelly Brogan, who says, one of the most fundamental problems with today's vaccine paradigm is that vaccine safety has not been studied, much less proven. The current schedule has never been studied, not one vaccine in a vaccinated versus an unvaccinated, let alone the multiple delivered vaccines all at once, or the entire long-term effects of 49 doses of 14 different vaccines by the age of six, end of quote. Never been studied. And you want to just go for it. It's like Russian roulette with a syringe, really. All right, and let's look for the smoke and gun, since we're talking about that. Uh, parental suspicions were aroused when, in 1988, Congress passed laws to protect medical professionals and pharmaceutical companies from lawsuits resulting in injury from vaccines. So prior to that law, doctors were more cautious about giving or recommending vaccines. 
So these laws, what they've done is they've made vaccine adverse reactions less significant, less relevant, less anything. So even worse, parents are often blamed for their child's demise from the vaccines, and then they endure emotional and financial hardship from the loss of a healthy child and then all the legal fees. So if you need proof vaccines are a hoax, here it is, okay? This is from Dr. Suzanne Humphreys. She says, most, since most vaccines are delivered by injection, the mucous membranes are bypassed and thus blood antibodies are produced but not mucosal antibodies. She says the mucosal exposure is what contributes to the production of protective antibodies. And that's what um, Dr. Um, doctors have been saying since the 70s, you know, once they started Anthony Norris, Dr. Anthony Norris, who discovered that it's all a hoax, that it's, it's just a lie because it bypasses the immune system's natural mechanisms and you have no protection. And worse off, it just weakens and destroys your natural immune system. All right. So, and what about, you know, the, the reports that, you know, when you get an outbreak, they blame the unvaccinated, right? You see that a lot. You know, it's because there's children out there running around that have never been vaccinated. That's why we have this pandemic now. Well, we've all heard the reports that it's the unvaccinated individuals to blame for disease outbreaks. However, that story doesn't fly. It doesn't hold true when the unvaccinated individuals, unvaccinated ones, don't develop the, the disease, and the people who get vaccinated develop the disease they've been vaccinated against, okay? So what science is now learning and beginning to admit to is that vaccines create more virulent strains of disease. So in January 2015, the CDC admitted that the outbreaks in whooping cough were not due to unvaccinated children. The reason they gave was, quote, the unvaccinated are not the driving force behind the large-scale outbreaks and epidemics. So they had to report that because the unvaccinated were not coming down with the whooping cough, but the vaccinated children were, that's why they had to report that. And Dr. Mercola also reports that the whooping cough cases were never tested to determine if the bacteria was indeed whooping cough or another pathogen called parapertussis. So whooping cough is really B. pertussis bacteria, and it's now resistant to any of the vaccines. And so what you have now, thanks to modern medicine, is a progressive whooping cough pathogen that is vaccine-induced. Hmm. So what you want to do is guard against whooping cough, all kinds of flu, influenza. Uh, by the way, thyme herb is a, has a natural germicide in it. It's an antibacterial property that fights whooping cough. You know, that's what the pilgrims knew, and that's what they used. I also, when I, if there's a whooping cough thing, I also use organic apple cider vinegar to cut phlegm and mucus, a little lobelia herb to improve breathing, and, of course, immune-boosting herbs. That's a given. So you're going to find... Time tincture and tea, the Lobelia relaxation formula, and several immune-boosting uh, products at Apothecary Herbs. So you can call Apothecary Herbs for your free product catalog and discover how powerful you can be with immune-boosting and organ-cleansing herbs. Yeah, call now, 
toll-free 866-229-3663. If you're outside the U.S., 704-885-0277 or thepowerherbs.com is the address. And that's where your health care options just became in this. Don't forget, check out their pandemic kits. They're cold and flu formulas like the Three Amigos, My Three Amigos. Awesome stuff. Kick the flu pathogen in the butt. And uh, money-saving coupons on their website, too. So you can prepare and uh, feel confident. You know, you're going to boost immune system function, and your immune system is going to develop a natural antibody and protect you in the future. That's how it works. That's how it should work. That's what God intended. Got to take a break? We'll be right back. into the original medicine. Herbalist Wendy Wilson will be right back. Everyone is afraid of pain. No one wants pain to rule over their life. And you don't want the negative side effects of aspirin, ibuprofen, or prescription drugs. They can lower immunity and cause dependency. Is there a safe alternative? I'm herbalist Wendy Wilson, and I prefer willow bark and meadowsweet herbs to control pain, fever, aches, and inflammation. God's herbs are good, and you won't be disappointed. Call Apothecary Herbs for pain or extra strength pain relief formula, toll-free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International, 704-875-8010 or online, thepowerherbs.com. tall buildings with a single bound? Faster than a locomotive? Whoa! Find the Superman in you! Listen to Herb Talk Live with herbalist Wendy Wilson. Pandemics will be a part of our future. The question is, how do we protect ourselves? Are you willing to put your trust in untested vaccine, hoping it kills mutating viruses? Remember, in 1976, health officials tried to inoculate Americans with swine flu, and there was a 300% death rate for those inoculated, and millions were paid out in damages. God gave you a sophisticated immune system, and in times of need, you can make it 10 times stronger. So there's no need to panic. Just get prepared. Call Apothecary Herbs to order your upgraded pandemic kit. You will have eight professional strength formulas offering broad-spectrum immune-boosting protection. Take a stand. Have a plan. Have peace and request your pandemic kit today. Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free, 866-229-3663, or online, thepowerherbs.com. That's 866-229-3663, or thepowerherbs.com. 
American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. provided strength. Indeed, the chemical compounds of thyme contain antioxidants, an effective germicide that kills whooping cough bacteria and makes breathing easier. Just imagine what you can do with thyme herb when it comes to respiratory ailments like croup, pneumonia, asthma, and sinusitis. The extra benefit of thyme herb is that it soothes the nerves and stops spasmodic coughing, so you can get some rest. Who says you don't have time to take care of yourself? Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free for time, tincture, and tea to soothe your cough and get some rest. 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International 704-875-8010. Or online at thepowerherbs.com. We're going to have this flu season come upon us, and you're going to get ready for some super-duper-duper flu vaccines that, um, well, I would run, run quickly from. All right, so we're going to look at what's really in vaccines, okay? Uh, A lot of people just think, oh, it's just something to protect me from getting the flu. And as Dr. Carley has always said, instead of saying you're getting vaccinated um, against the flu, she says, think you're getting vaccinated with the flu, because that's what you are. You're getting a live virus put into you. All right, so the field of vaccines, very competitive and obviously very lucrative. According to Evaluate Pharma, Bitzer dominates the vaccine field and experts uh, and expects to increase their dominance by 61% over the next five years. That's because they're expanding 
as I mentioned in the first part of the show, they're expanding to the adult vaccine market and uh, pregnant women vaccine market. So the projections are that Pfizer will generate about $4 billion making vaccines by the year 2020. Merck, Gardasil vaccines, uh, number two vaccine uh, in the slot, um, but uh, they re- recently, they, recently they slid a little bit to third place. Now the top vaccine manufacturers are Sanofi, Merck, GlaxoSmithKline, Pfizer, and Novorus. So vaccines are, you know, big revenue generators. And the rumors that big pharma does not make money making vaccines simply not true. Now. Uh, since we have legislation that's in place that offers vaccine manufacturers immunity uh, to death and damage lawsuits, uh, well, they can shorten the time it usually takes to make a safe product, and they can fast-track it to the marketplace. So the announcement that the Swiss company Novoris was earlier this year sold its vaccine brands to GlaxoSmithKline for about $30 million really is an indication that the competition is pretty fierce and we're going to find out how vaccines are evolving and what's in them and how you may want to take action to protect yourself. All right, let's look at the Ebola. I want you to take a deep breath. <gasps> breathe in, breathe out. Um, everyone listening to um, credible news on the reports of, uh, you know, the pandemics like uh, hemorrhagic fevers like Ebola, um, well, the CDC owns the patent on the Ebola virus, right? So we also have heard GlaxoSmithKline is racing to produce vaccines for these types of pandemics that are emerging left and right. Um, and so, you know, we have now the Ebola vaccine, but how great it is, you know, is, well, you're going to find out in a minute. Recent reports have surfaced that um, University of Texas at Austin's working on a breathable Ebola vaccine. So it's not an injectable one. They've been working on uh, the powder vaccines for a long time. It's not like a nebulizer kind of thing or um, like that. It's more of um, put it in the air and you breathe in and, you know, you're vaccinated within two breaths kind of thing. So uh, they say they've, they've tested it on monkeys they said it offers a 67% to 100% protection, right? And so how science measures success, they kind of massage the numbers in clinical trials, and it more likely um, very minuscule prote- uh, protection is probably 0 to 0.0067% is more likely what it is. So we're supposed to believe now that respiratory powdered vaccines that they're given to primates or the injectable ones with the Ebola virus, um, you know, they've survived. Uh, 50% of them have survived. So half the monkeys died, 50% didn't, so there you go. So what happened to the 100% protection then? This is my question that they were reporting. So you may also be asking, why would you develop an inhaled version of the Ebola vaccine? Well, the pharmaceutical companies would have us to believe it's more effective and it's more cost-effective than than the syringe serum type of vaccine because it takes longer to make that and it has a shorter shelf life. 
However, medical doctors are going to tell you that infecting your pulmonary, your lungs, is really the fastest way to infect somebody with a deadly pathogen. It goes, it's, fused, it's infused right into the blood system. So you talk about, poof. Uh, anyway, so the researchers at the Breathable Ebola Vaccine um, Clinic, they published the, uh, their results in the Journal of Molecule uh, Pharmaceuticals. And let's see, they said that if a needle and the breathable vaccine were compared, uh, so uh, they said that the breathable one, there's really no wait time for protection is what they're claiming. And so they're working on delivering more and more vaccines through powders, the breathable, or even a film strip, sort of like those breath mints that look like just a little piece of film and you stick it on your tongue and they dissolve. They're looking at that type of delivery as well. So they're wanting to retire the syringe because a lot of people just don't like needles. So they're losing a lot of their market share. Uh, a lot of people are resisting uh, because they don't like needles. So they're trying to get that out of the way. So there's clinical trials for both breathable and film strip Ebola vaccine, uh, but of course that's being carried out in West Africa. So other vaccine companies also working on developing traditional vaccines delivered in other ways instead of through a syringe. All right, so let's talk about the Fluvax vaccine. Um, we've talked about uh, flu vaccines a little bit, and so we're going to get in touch with the uh, it's called the Flux Flax flu vaccine. Say that three times fast. Um, it contains a canine dog cells in it. And you're probably saying, well, what? Why? Uh, well, the CDC says that traditionally eggs are used to grow disease cultures for A and B influenza pathogens, and they can take about a half a year to make it. But if they use mammals, they have been able to uh, make the vaccine uh, faster. Sometimes they use monkey kidneys, pig kidneys, or dog kidneys to grow the vaccine on. And these are known as cell-based vaccines. So um, let's see, Solvay Pharmaceuticals now and Novartis have developed a flu vaccine using dog kidneys. It's, um, it's, it's from the Darby canine kidney cell and it replaces the fertilized chicken eggs. And when we're told that the mammal cells give more flexibility than the eggs do. And what does that mean? Well, they suggest that the culture, the culturing of the disease to make the, the vaccine is more economical uh, when they use the dog kidneys than they do eggs. So the industry also says they complain they don't have an adequate supply of chicken eggs. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm thinking chicken eggs, much more available than dog kidneys. Because you got to kill a dog to get the kidneys. Uh huh. How you how you dog pet ACPA lovers out there liking this story? Hmm. I bet you not. Not too much. Okay. So the industry is complaining about no, not enough eggs. Now assessment research on canine cell-based vaccines reports that they are safe as um, a mammal substrate. Um. Uh, for um, low risk of tumor genetics. So clinical testing on dog versions of flu shots, they say, are safe and um, about the same side effects as the chicken egg version. So uh, now these cell-based vaccines have been approved for use in Europe, 
and they do contain um, three influenza subtype uh, strains, uh, strain A, B, and bird flu strain. So you should know that the idea of using dog cells in cultivating disease for vaccines has been in the development since 1958. Wow. So, so they were doing that when um, kidney cells from a cocker spaniel were harvested for research. So science is really explaining that it can take about a decade to make test vaccines. Therefore, how are we to accept that pharmaceutical companies are fast-tracking vaccine research and production within 12-month time frame? So which is it? Well, you want to check out the verbiage on your Flux Flax product for flu where it says it's uh, aimed towards individuals over the age of 18. Um, uh, they do not feel uh, they need to target um, uh, anybody special, just anybody over the age of 18 will do. So as usual, medicine tells us that the flu vaccine made earlier from eggs monkeys, pigs, and dogs, um, is safe um, for children, uh, uh, but they prefer to give it to people over the age of 18. Uh, also, they encourage pregnant women to get it. So if you inject a pregnant mother with disease, you inject the unborn child with disease. According to clinical trial research with pregnant rabbits, when you give them the flu vaccine, uh, it has fatal results to their embryo. So the vaccine has really not been evaluated in pregnant or nursing mothers, but it's told they're told to give it to them. And that's what we just heard in the first part of the show. There's just no evidence, long-term studies being conducted. Well, it's sort of like when Dr. Carly's on the show, she says they'll never test vaccines uh, to see if they cause cancer because they already know they do. So they won't do the studies and, you know, put a death knell in that product. All right, so aside from the flu viruses, you're going to have inside your vaccine uh, potassium chloride. It's a metal halide salt composed of potassium, which is adversely going to affect your heart, your liver, your brain, and lungs. Also, you have sodium chloride, which can cause pulmonary complications. There's magnesium chloride, which will uh, cause your throat to swell, maybe give you difficulty breathing, and sodium phosphate and diabastic dehydrate, which can cause seizures, convulsions, digestive disease, bowel, urinary, and heart damage, which is probably why these young kids, these little babies, you know, have sudden infant death syndrome. And also potassium phosphate monobastic, which can cause nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, dizziness, headache, stomach pain, and muscle cramps. And yeah, then there's also some water in there along with your viral strains. All right, so are dogs, dog cells just in the flu vaccine? Uh, well, there are reports that canine cells are being cultured uh, not just for the flu vaccine. According to VacTruth.com, canine cell cultures have been found in the mumps vaccine. And it is well known that childhood vaccines cultured on eggs produce allergies in children. So they're anticipating that and they're doing the canine kidneys instead. Uh, but, of course, then it could produce uh, allergic reactions to dogs um, or any kind of animal that has dander. Uh, children could have pet allergies. Um, so there's a list of contradictions. Anyone with hypersensitivity to component, components 
of the vaccine in the literature, it says if you are allergic to canine hair protein, <laughs> oh, yeah, you're going to have a problem and use caution. According to VacTruth.com, the manufacturer of the mumps vaccine with the dog canine cells in it, um, it's in the uh, Czech Republic also. They package it there for the U.K. pharmaceutical companies as well. And it's being promoted as a substitute for kids that are allergic to eggs. And it's endorsed by the World Health Organization. So, and so the, okay, so, so we have these cells causing adverse events. So if eggs make you allergic to, uh, to things like eggs, if you get vaccinated with serums grown on eggs, okay, so then you're going to have an allergy to dogs or any kind of uh, animal with dander uh, if you take a vaccine with canine kidney cells in it. So what about the DNA-geared uh, vaccines, the new generation of vaccines with the uh, M, was it MRC5? Uh, embryonic um, cells in it from aborted fetuses, what is that going to make you allergic to? I mean, it may not make you allergic to anything. As Dr. Carley pointed out, she thinks it's going to change everybody's DNA that eventually within a generation, people will not be able to track successfully their genealogy through DNA anymore. Think about that. Wow. All right. Um, let's look at some other ingredients. One might ask how the pharmaceutical manufacturers harvest the canine kidney cells for the vaccine. Do you ever think of that? Well, if eggs are not abundant enough, as we pointed out, how can dog kidneys be easier to obtain and more economical? Think about this. I would think having a few chickens in some cages laying eggs left and right is more economical and easier to obtain than having to have a kennel full of dogs. And then you have to slice them open and extract their organs. And then you have to dispose of the carcass. I mean, that's got to be more, more costly, right? So... Well, the answer is that the pharmaceutical companies that are making canine vaccines, they have um, their own kennel breeding factory. I'm not kidding. A dog kennel is really near or on the vaccine manufacturing facility property. So you can imagine how much bacteria that's going to generate, right? So what are the chances? that the mammal material used to make your vaccines is contaminated with bacteria and other pathogens. So if the USDA beef is 39 to 81% contaminated with E. coli, pneumonia, urinary tract pathogens, and antibiotic-resistant bacterial strains, what are the chances that the secret canine kennels which harvest kidneys are any cleaner? What do you think? Yes, I apologize to anybody trying to eat a meal right now. Um, all right, let's look at the flu block vaccine, because then you're probably saying, well, there's more than one flu vaccine out there. I'll just shop around. Okay, so in 2013, the FDA gave pharmaceutical manufacturers the green light to manufacture flu vaccines without eggs and use insects instead. So to make 
the flu block vaccine, they use the ovaries of the fall army worm to culture the disease. So the FDA liked the shorter time frame needed to manufacture this vaccine, and according to the National Institutes of Allergy and Infectious Disease, using worms takes only 21 days, whereas egg cultures can take as long as six months. And instead of needing millions of eggs to culture the virus, now all they need are millions of army worms. And how do they use army worms to make the flu shots? Well, after they isolate uh, the hemagglutin from the current strains of influenza, they include in, that in a vaccine and they inject that into um, the insects. Um, so they, they inject the insects, they infect them. And then they take a virus combo to infect billions of agricultural pests called army worms with this infection to cultivate. So the worms then produce what is called an HA gene protein that becomes a serum to make your flu box vaccine. <clears throat> I mean, who sits around and thinks this stuff up? This is like something out of a creeper movie, right? So the cell-based vaccine procedure allows Big Pharma to double and triple their vaccine production when they use 10 million doses a week, uh, from 10 million doses a week to 30 billion. So they can really rev up the production using the worms, the insects. So flu block vaccine is about $30 a dose with an average flu shot maybe costs 5 to $40 a, a shot, depending on the type you're getting. So if you have insurance, your out-of-pocket cost is maybe 10 bucks, 15 bucks. So flu block is not administered to anyone under the age of 18. So if cell-based vaccines are fast, more flexible, more economical, then why do they cost consumers an average uh, of more money than the egg-based vaccines? I mean, you know, that's a question I have too. So other than the influenza subtypes A and B and the bird flu, what um, is in the flu block? And are there any side effects? Well, the vaccine contains the sodium phosphate, the nonobastic monohydrate um, stuff, same thing that gives you the digestive problems, even seizures and liver damage. The sodium phosphate diabastic can give you convulsions and uh, all kinds of uh, heart disease. The diocephedrate, sodium chloride, shortness of breath, allergic reactions, swelling, uh, anaphylactic shock. Oh, this one has polysorbate 20. It's an ethylene oxide for dioxin and potential carcinogen with severe tissue irritation, heart damage, blood infection, seizures, and death. And then the oxynol 9 spermicide contraceptive is in there uh, to apparently cause infertility in men, I'm thinking. Why else would it be in your flu vaccine? Why would you need a spermicide in there? It's not like the worms are mating in that syringe. Come on. What's going on? Why is there a spermicide contraceptive? Well, they say it breaks down oil in skin that, that could, you know, cause inflammation at the injection site. That's so bogus. All right. Let's look at some of the statistics that have been massaged. 
According to Dr. Mercola, the statistics on death by flu is distorted by the CDC, and more people die of malnutrition and asthma than the flu. So in 2004, death by flu was 1,100 in 2005, and it was 1,800 uh, after that. So the CDC likes to mix in death by pneumonia and emphysema and COPD with your flu stats to, you know, jack up the rate of the amount of deaths, enhance those statistics, and then, you know, scare everybody into getting a flu shot. Now, if you look at the insert on your Flavel flu vaccine, it says it's influenza virus vaccine indicated for active immunization of adults 18 years of older against influenza disease caused by influenza virus subtypes A and B. And it says um, this indication is based on immune response elicited by Flavavel, and there have been no controlled trials demonstrating a disease of influenza uh, after being vaccinated with this Flavavel. So what they're saying is, you know, we can't prove, we didn't even try to prove, we had no clinical trials to even prove that this shot will prevent you from getting the flu. All right, so the average flu vaccine is going to contain mercury that's over 250 times the safety limit that's been established by the Environmental Protection Agency. Flu strains are cultivated and made inactive by formaldehyde, a cancer agent, and then preserved in thermosol, your mercury. Pediatricians and other physicians may try to convince patients that the mercury has been removed. However, thermosol is 49% mercury by weight, and here's a list of other ingredients that you can find along with your pathogens in an average vaccine. You're going to have aluminum, which is a neurotoxin, a trioxin X100, which is a detergent, a phenol, it's a carbolic acid, uh, ethylene glycol, which is really antifreeze, uh, beta-propylactylone, which is a disinfectant, um, uh, you know, which proves your vaccines are contaminated with bacteria when they're throwing that in there. Uh, Nioxidol uh, is your STSTD drug. Now, what? Okay, so first we have, you know, fertility issues with the contraceptive, but now it's an STD problem. And uh, Oxidol 9, which is the spermicide we mentioned, and sodium phosphate. So based on these ingredients, uh, these are considered standard. The flu vaccines for the U.S. and the U.K. and Europe um, and it's also given to sterilize dogs. Did I mention that? Yeah, the veterinarian industry will use this. They repackage it, give it another name, and it's there to uh, sterilize pets. So um, do your homework. I know I'm out of time, but you know, go to the PowerHerbs.com website. There's lots of immune-boosting flu, cold and flu things that you can utilize that are all natural, aren't going to give you side effects, not going to risk your health. And, uh, and improve your um, antibody resistance. Powerherbs.com, 866-229-3663. I'm out of time. The information presented is not intended to diagnose, treat, prevent, or cure disease, so seek medical advice, if you dare, from a licensed medical physician before using any product or therapy. I'm your herbalist, Wendy Wilson. Until next time, be well.
Food prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. And this is Financial Survival for Wednesday night, third day of August, year of our Lord, 2016. Uh, James Corbett is scheduled to join us after the first break, calling in from Japan. And before we get to James, market report is gold is down, or gold fell $5.10 per ounce today. And the market closed at $1,358.70 per ounce. Silver was down $0.19 cents to $20.48 per ounce. Platinum was down 3 to $1,167. Palladium was down 5 to 715 Metals were down across the board. Let's just see what happens here for see what's happening in the evening market. Uh, gold is flat. Silver's down another 12 cents. Platinum's down another three. Palladium's down one. Um, let's take a look at U.S. dollar index. Down today, about 45. I don't have the, I don't have the number for today's market. And another nine cents down in the, in the, uh, the, foreign markets after they closed U.S. markets. But it's currently U.S. dollar index is 95.43. Crude oil is at $41.12 per, per barrel. And uh, it's up a little bit. It was down in the 30s. So it's up perhaps $2, buck and a half, $2, something like that. Uh, Dow Jones up 41 points today to 18,355. NASDAQ up 22 to 5,160. 
New York Stock Exchange up 34, 10,695. Standard and Poor's up seven points to 2,164. There are the market reports. Now let's see if we can find something that we can talk about. Has anything happened today? Any kind of news? Yeah, I guess there was some. I guess there's things to talk about, aren't there? You know, one of the things one of the things that amazes me and astonishes me is the amount of insanity that seems to be proliferating in our society and our political system. Hillary Clinton is allegedly having seizures. She's accusing Donald Trump of being mentally unbalanced. There's one photo out that claims she's got a hole in her tongue from perhaps a biopsy from some sort of a disease. Uh, we have a new battleship coming that is allegedly going to be named after Harvey Milk, the San Francisco homosexual who was assassinated. I'm thinking maybe, I don't know, are they going to paint the battleship pink? Or are they going to make all this, uh, the... Uh, the, the seamen who, who work on that battleship, will they have to wear pink uniforms and a pink feather boa as tribute to Mr. Milk? Uh, you know, you look at these things and you think back, it was not all that long ago when these kinds of insults to common culture in this country would not have been possible. It wouldn't have been conceivable, and today they're happening almost daily. And you wonder, is this, has the world gone mad, or are people in positions of power doing this intentionally to rub our nose in it and say, ha, 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 look what we can do. We can do anything we want. We can have a pink battleship. Now, they actually haven't, they haven't said pink battleship yet, but we, they can name one after a homosexual. Come on. It's the sort of thing where you look at it and you just wonder. You have to develop a mortician sense of humor because you see things that are basically gruesome on a daily basis. And yet, if they make money, we accept them. This goes to the whole idea of a difference, the difference between an economy and a nation. If you are living in a nation, you have one set of values that can be, in broad strokes, defined as your culture. But if you're living in an economy, you have a completely different set of values. In the nation, you have moral principles. You have, you have, a, you have the idea of right and wrong in the nation. But if you allow your nation to be turned into an economy, then the system of values changes where right and wrong are no longer relevant. They are quaint, antiquated concepts. And instead, in an economy, it's all about the money. Instead of right and wrong, we have profit and loss. And anything that makes money, hey, that's good. That's what counts. If you're making money, and it doesn't matter if you're a prostitute, if you're a pimp, if you're a drug dealer. It doesn't how much you make it. Are you singing gangster rap that encourages children to grow up to be violent? And we wonder where, particularly in the in the African American communities, oh, the prefer the, the prevalence of guns—that's the problem. How much is the problem in the black community? The prevalence of gangster rap. 
children who are taught from an early age you know, to shoot first and ask questions later if they ever ask questions. There was a time in this world, I can remember there was a, there's a movie that came out perhaps maybe in the 1960s, no later than the 1970s. It was kind of a comedy. It was entitled The Night They Raided Minsky's. And I'm trying to think of who the female star was in the in the picture. Little Swedish girl. I don't remember her name right now. But she was allegedly a stripper at Minsky's. And the police raided the place when she took off her top. Huh? And everybody, it's comedy. Everybody gets a good laugh out of this. And her father, however, a strict Swedish immigrant was trying to conv- trying to raise his daughter to be decent and God-fearing and whatever. He's per- portrayed as a straight-laced buffoon. And the girl that was stripping, she is portrayed as, you know, just, just kind of a fun, fun girl. And what's wrong with that? These are the kind of motion pictures that over time help to degrade your your culture. And when your culture falls apart, so will your standard of living. And they make fun of that Swedish immigrant who played the girl's father. I don't think, I'm wondering if, maybe it was Mae Britt, but I don't recall for sure if that was the one who played the girl in in the picture. But again, it's a comedy, but that guy, he was portrayed as just some out-of-touch old man who didn't understand what was going on. We were, li- we were liberated. Right? We didn't need those old values. I'm telling you we do. And there was a time in my life, maybe even much of my life, I would probably have agreed that the old guy in that sense of values was not what was, what was necessarily needed. I won't say it was most of my life, but it was much of my life. I, would, I wouldn't have argued against that, that the idea that we didn't need those old values. I wasn't inclined to just jump in with the new values, but I wouldn't have stood up and fought for the old ones and said they had value. You know, there there was a reason for them. You get to a point in life when you see, my gosh, that old timer that was portrayed as such a stereotype. He was. We see we see ministers in movies that are sometimes portrayed as fanatical Bible thumpers, and Everything they do is by the by, by the book, essentially, and they become a little bit absurd and unpleasant to be around. And yet, these stereotypes have moved us away from the Bible. They've moved us away from moral values. They've moved us away from our own culture, and they've helped us to become economic units, not the people of the United States of America. But economic units, human resources, how much money did you make today? How much money did you save? How much money did you spend? Don't tell me where you'd like to go or what. I'm not interested in your personality or what your dreams are. How much money did you make? We're not better off for that. It's not the sort of thing that you can, you can't easily walk away from the economy. It becomes, it's a function of efficiency. 
it's justifiable in a lot of regards. But when we embrace those economic ideas, as Bill Clinton, when he said, it's the economy, stupid. Well, maybe it's not. Maybe it's the nation, stupid. All right? Maybe those economic values, they're important, they're important, they're necessary, but they can't be predominant. And we are in a world that wants, that seems determined to treat everything on the basis of living in an economy rather than living in a nation. We see the new world order, one world government, one world economy. We see them pushing for a North American union that combines Mexico, the United States, and Canada into what? A single economy. They want to make the nations irrelevant. The only thing that counts to the people that are pushing this idea of globalism and North American union and one world government and so on. The only thing, the only thing you're able to understand is the logic of economics and how larger markets and, and more concentration of money and one thing or another and allegedly makes higher productivity or whatever. And some of that may be true, but if it, if it generates positive results and it's allowed to go too far, it generates negative results also by disabling your cultural values. And all of a sudden, there you are. You're nothing but a human race resource. You are intrinsically indistinguishable from a draft animal. We begin to function like a Clydesdale, and we can then the and whoever owns the Clydesdales can be very proud of the Clydesdales pulling this wagon full of Budweiser beer. All right? But I'll tell you what, when any one of those Clydesdales becomes weak, loses his coat, um, no longer able to pull the wagon, that Clydesdale is going to the dog food factory. And it's not a question of right or wrong or morality or anything else. It's just a question of profit and loss. That's all. And you and I are regarded as those Drysdale, those Clydesdales. We are increasingly human resources, and as long as we can produce, fine. Keep, keep working your butt off and uh, contributing and making, producing things for, not even for yourself. You wind up paying over half of your income into taxes right now. Um, you're not sharecroppers, black sharecroppers, after slavery was eliminated. They had a better deal than you and I do right now. I think they only had to pay something like 15, 20, maybe 35% of their income to whoever owned the land. Taxpayers today are paying over 50% of their income to local, state, federal, and hidden taxes. And we are functioning like sharecroppers in this damnable economy. And it has moved us to engage, to, to accept, to embrace a system of values that are contrary to our own interests. We may survive in the economy. I won't say it'll kill us necessarily, but it's not going to prolong our lives once we become inefficient. Uh, it may be that the economy, there may be, I don't doubt that there's a certain amount of reason behind it, but it's the kind of reason that's, it's like keeping people in cages. So they don't hurt themselves and they don't hurt others. 
you can make the argument for. There's a certain argument to be made. Keep each one of us in a separate case. But eventually, we become mad. We need our culture. We need values. We need moral right and wrong. And when we don't have that, we disintegrate into something that is unfit for human habitation. I mean, to be a man, to be a woman, does not merely mean that you have a McMansion, a new SUV, and a collection of credit cards. Although it's hard for some people to imagine, there really is more to life. You know, there's more to life than than just uh, working, 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 and dedicating your life to chasing a currency that isn't even real money. There's a kind of madness in the inhumanity that's that's overwhelming in the economy. I mean, the economy uh, the economy is where you'll find people who can justify concentration camps. The economy is where you can find people who can justify genocide. The economy justifies war. You can go steal somebody else's goods and services, their wealth, their resources. There's no question of right and wrong in the economy, and it's a terrible disability. And all of us are going to wish that we had a nation before this is done. But our nation is being destroyed and a way in a way that's imperceptible. You watch a movie like The Night They Raided Minsky's. It was a funny comedy. I, I haven't seen it in years, but I remember it. Um, but still, it taught things that did us no good. It's like gangster rap. Uh, people would not necessarily agree that The Night They Raided Minsky's was the same as gangster rap. But just the same, there's a similarity in this regard. They both tend to degrade values that are part and parcel and important to the nation. And those values are not just whether you go to church on Sunday and whether you wear a crucifix or you don't wear a crucifix around your neck. It's not just that. Those values laid the foundation for Christendom, or Christendom laid the foundation for those values. Those values laid the foundation for the prosperity found in Europe and the United States, a couple other countries. When we lose those cultural values, particularly when we sacrifice them in the name of economic efficiency, we are ultimately going to find ourselves impoverished. We're not going to be more efficient. We're going to be more powerless, helpless, and without values, and we won't enjoy it. I'm Alfred Adisk, and this is Financial Survival. We're going to be back in about three minutes, and James Corbett should be joining us from Japan at that time. Please stay tuned.
financial obligations or relationship problems have you feeling stressed out? When life is too much to handle, use Apothecary Herbs Emotional Stress Formula. Feel calm and more in control with herbs especially combined to provide the organic nutrition your system needs to help you cope. Complete instructions for maximum benefit and a money-back guarantee. You've waited long enough. Call Apothecary Herbs now. Toll free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the www.thepowerherbs.com. Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. I'm Alfred Addisk, and this is Financial Survival, brought to you by Discount Gold and Silver at 1-800-375-4188. Our guest is James Corbett, calling in from Japan. He is the author and mastermind behind the CorbettReport.com, a website for independent critical analysis of politics, society, history, and economics. He's also editorial writer for the International Forecaster and a regular guest on this program. Hello, James. How are you? I'm doing pretty well, and I like that idea of titling myself a mastermind. <laughs> mm. Well, I you you have my permission to use it all you want. <laughs> uh, Thank you. We've got we've got a bunch of stories, and one of the themes for tonight's questions may be: uh, Is the world really in as much trouble? As it seems to be, if you read the media, or are some of our headlines being hyped? For example, here's something from the Daily Mail in the United Kingdom. It says, Merkel on the ropes. <laughs> Thousands of German protesters take the streets saying, she must go. All right. 
Merkel's partnership was hanging by a thread as thousands gathered to call for resignation, while a key political ally dramatically withdrew his support for over-immigration policy. 5,000 protests in Berlin, um, four brutal terrorist attacks that have left 13 dead in the last month. Chancellor faced a fresh wave of fury after it emerged that two recent terror attacks and the third killing were carried out by men who entered the country as refugees. Is Merkel really in big trouble, or is this just another blip? You know, you ask a very insightful question, because it is so easy to get caught up in whatever the the news story of the moment is, that we lose Mm -hmm. all perspective. And that is something that was really truly understood. It still is understood by people who work in media, but obviously uh, they can play with people's perceptions in order to increase viewership and increase clicks and increase advertising revenue. So that is one of the motivations for creating the 24-7 emergency kind of uh, feeling in the public. Um, Let's look at the terrorism issue as an example. Back in even the 70s in the United States, where you had uh, terrorist uh, bombings uh, that were being perpetrated by uh, Puerto Rican separatists that were not ad- they, they weren't made a big deal of or advertised or talked about endlessly in the media because the media understood that if you talk about these types of things, that is exactly what the terrorists want. You are playing into their agenda by basically advertising their acts of terrorism. Whereas, of course, uh, when you look at anything, I mean, the classic example is look at how many people die on the streets every single day in the United States in car accidents versus the number of people who die every day in terrorist incidents. It isn't even close. If you had as much attention on or a a proportional amount of attention on the car related deaths as you do terrorism deaths, terrorism wouldn't even make a blip in the headlines. So it really is a question of what you get people to focus on. And another perfect reflection of this is crime rates, violent crime rates, still at multi-decadal lows, yet still there is the, the, uh, the increasing presence of uh, the police uh, forces in people's daily lives and the ever-increasing need for more militarized police. Why is that? Why is crime rates still, even though there was a slight rise in violent crime rates in urban centers last year, still very much below where they were, say, in the 1990s, and yet people are probably more scared now than they ever have been about violent crime and things of that nature. Again, it is media perception that creates these types of... They don't create the problem, but they create the the, the, media, the, the, the panic in the public. Exactly, exactly. And the, well, the question here, you know, the old saying, and the media, if it bleeds, it leads. All right, your first story on the media is somebody got shot, killed, whatever, on TV. That might, have been, that might not have been true, but there was a point to it. There was a certain amount of truth to it. Who is writing these headlines? Are they being written by just the media for the purpose of simply amping up? Look, someone shot at Hillary Clinton. All right, well, they shot a, they shot a, a, a spitball at her, all right? But the headlines, shot at Hillary Clinton. Okay, everybody's going to read that article. Is that, is that done simply because the newspaper outlet, they want to attract more attention, get people to look at the stories so they can look at the ads and they can make more money? Is it just for that, or is this something that's being orchestrated by government where they're trying to keep us in a state of hypertension? I think it isn't just 
the um, sensationalism and the clickbait and the advertising revenue. But I do think that does provide a certain motivation. I think to a certain extent, also, the medium is the message and the medium of the Internet is creating that type of BuzzFeed news environment where it is the most uh, sensational and outrageous headline that people generally tend to go with in order to get people's attention. Uh, That plays into it. But I think there is also the underlying deeper agenda of creating societal tensions. Um, As I I really do think the divide and conquer strategy of the culture wars in the United States specifically that have been going on for decades and talked about for decades, I think are really starting to come to a head because they are being amplified. They are being promoted at this point by the media. And I don't think that can just be uh, uh, due to sensationalism and, uh, and you know, advertising revenue. I think there has to be at some point some sort of agenda to promote the, the tensions in society. And uh, this is ramping up. I mean, it's certainly not winding down at this point. And it's coming to a head, of course, with uh, the 2016 election, which whichever way it goes will only further serve to, uh, to fan those flames. I, you, we talk about the Internet being conducive to this. I, have, I understand that, or at least I think I can understand it from the perspective that the Internet is such an incredibly competitive environment. They have programs that will identify if somebody sells shirts for a nickel less than you can buy them at JCPenney's, we'll go over and buy them for JC. we'll buy them and save the nickel. They have programs that identify this. The competition is extraordinary on the Internet, unlike anything the world has probably ever seen before. It necess- with that hyper-competition, it necessarily inclines people to exaggerate. Oh, my gosh, somebody shot Hillary Clinton. Yeah, it was with a bean blower. All right, we'll get into that in the article. But the headline, get those eyes on um, That extraordinary competition is at least part of the reason for the, for the, the exaggeration that we'll see in headlines. Um, I, 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 is it is the media the message? You know, I sit here and I wind up watching the internet. <laughs> I'll bet you that I'm on the internet six eight hours a day. I can remember as a child and a young man, you watched the evening news for maybe twenty minutes a day. Take out the commercials, you might get twenty five minutes. Of, of news every day, and oh my gosh, did you see what Walter Cronkite said? That was all we had. And then we went to CNN or whoever it was that started out with just a 24-hour news day. News, 24 hours a day. Internet, news, 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 news. I mean, it comes at you like water out of a fire hydrant. It's hard to get a drink. You see what I'm saying here? Oh, I absolutely do. Yes, the information overload, which is one of the defining parts of the era that we're living in. And, I mean, it's certainly, um, it's not something that hasn't been foreseen. I mean, this has been written about for uh, for decades now. In fact, going back nearly half a century at this point, people were writing about what would, what essentially would become the internet, this era of online networked um, information environments where people could instantaneously communicate. That's been envisioned for quite a while and talked about. Are you talking and about McLuhan? I, uh, not just McLuhan. Did Marshall um, there have been a number of writers that? that have talked about this. Okay. Uh, Brzezinski wrote about Between Two Ages, America's role in the technotronic era, talking about the, the, the start of these. And uh, there was a philosopher whose name I'm going to forget at the moment, but... Um, 
I studied him in my European philosophy of the 20th century course back in university, um, nearly two decades ago now, um, talking basically about this and talking about it half a century ago. Um, this has been foreseen, and the effects are pretty much what one would expect. From that, uh, there is there, there is such a phenomenon as information overload, and it does cause people to turn to even forcefully turn to opinion makers for their opinions. Um, there's so many facts coming out that people need a way to sort through the facts. They need a narrative to grasp on and try to filter through all of these facts. And that need for a narrative, I think, is is probably stronger now than it's ever been before. Uh, think about to my childhood, let alone some of the older people in the crowd, uh, without this 24-7 online news environment, you have time to read a book and stop and stare off into space and think about that book and what the, the ideas. I, I don't have that space for personal reflection at this point, and I'm as guilty as anyone else of, oh, scrolling through the Twitter feed, oh, what else is... It is truly... we, we brains. I actually just had a conversation about this with a uh, practicing research psychologist talking about the ways smartphones are really starting to shape people's behavior in ways that are absolutely 100% in line with class addiction symptoms. And it's starting to affect the way that we process uh, the world, basically. And I, I don't think that's a good thing. And I don't, I mean, some of this, I think, is part of an agenda. It certainly does feed into an agenda, but some of it really is the nature of the technology itself. I'm sorry, I think you're breaking up. I had a hard time hearing you. I know you are. You break. All right. Well, it looks like Al may be having some technical difficulties. It looks like I'm here. So on the point that I was just making about the, uh, the, the envisioning of this new networked world, uh, again, we can look back to, for example, Zbigniew Brzezinski in Between Two Ages, America's Role in the Technotronic Era, published in 1970, which is 46 years ago now. Um, he wrote specifically about the, the changes that would be coming to democratic society as a result of technology 
technocracy. And he wrote, quote, another threat, less overt but no less basic, confronts liberal democracy. More directly linked to the impact of technology, it involves the gradual appearance of a more controlled and directed society. Such a society would be dominated by an elite whose claim to political power would rest on allegedly superior scientific know-how. Unhindered by the restraints of traditional liberal values, this elite would not hesitate to achieve its political ends by using the latest modern techniques for influencing public behavior and keeping society under close surveillance and control. Under such circumstances, the scientific and technological momentum of the country would not be reversed, but would actually feed on the situation it exploits, which is a fascinating summary of where we stand as a society today. And yet this was written nearly half a century ago as a warning, quote unquote. But I think we know which side of the coin uh, uh, Brzezinski and his ilk would would uh, fall on in uh, the question of democracy versus technocracy, even if democracy per se was something that we wanted. Uh, certainly it is uh, against the the interests of the masses to have a society where we are increasingly sub- subjected to this type of influencing of public behavior. And how do you influence public behavior? You influence public perception. And exactly as I was talking about earlier, it is public perception that is the key here. It is the creation and molding of an understanding about where we are as a society in terms of the crisis events. What are the real problems we're facing? And if the only problems we're being shown are, you know, this terror event that killed three people on the other side of the world, um, rather than things that are directly influencing your daily life, it will start to change your behavior itself. You know, when I get up in the mornings, first thing I do I've got to get on the Internet and see if there's – I'm afraid I'm going to miss something. You know, I'm almost afraid to go to sleep at night because, oh, my gosh, something's going to happen, and I won't get it on the Internet within the first 30 seconds after the news reports. Um, I am subject to the addiction. We have – you were talking about the technology. I think if I understood you correctly, you were referring to someone who was saying that our advancement in technology – Depends on our technology. That's not exactly a surprise. But if we back away from the technology on the Internet, we are likely to fall back. The implication may be that if we back, if we, if we try to resist the force of the Internet, we will not advance technologically as quickly as we might, and we surrender wealth, power, prosperity to, who knows, China, India, whoever. Um, where do you rest? You know, where where do you find a place? It's like you were saying, where you just read a book, stare yeah. off of the, stare off into space once in a while, watch it's the a birds good fly by. Yeah. Uh, yeah, good where question. do you get any rest right now? And it it isn't on the internet. The yeah. internet it should sell a lot of coffee if nothing else. We're going to take a break <laughs> for some commercials. I'm Alfred Adams here with James Corbett, our guest, and we will be back in just a moment. Please stay tuned. subject to hormone imbalance 
And when this happens, men can experience osteoporosis, memory loss, irritability, blood sugar imbalance, weight gain, enlarged prostate, erectile dysfunction, and risk of stroke. The human endocrine system manufactures hormones. Why not feed your system plant nutrition to make the hormones that are right for you? For centuries, these herbs have been used to balance the male hormone system. Men, you've waited long enough for the male hormone formula. Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free, 866-229-3663 for the male hormone formula. 866-229-3663 or online at thepowerherbs.com. 866-229-3663 where your healthcare options just became endless. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971 when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. I'm Alfred Addis here with our guest James Corbett from the Corbett Report, C-O-R-B-E-T-T, report.com. I've got an article here from Information Clearinghouse, and the headline is America's Longest War Gets Longer. One thing that amazed me, and this is uh, the author's opinion, this isn't mine exactly, uh, one thing that amazed me was America's lack of attention to America's longest ever war that still rages in the mountains of Afghanistan. We've been there for 13 years. What are we doing in Afghanistan? How is it that we can't either win the war or walk away from it? Are we going to be trapped there for the next century? What is happening in Afghanistan? Well, James, um, it appears that one of us is here and one of us is not. Uh, Frank? If you are listening, Frank, sorry about that. I think I think I had a bit of technical difficulty there. I'm back. Hi. Okay. All right. Did you hear what I did? You hear my question? Yes, I did. And uh, I would just correct. Not 13 years. 15 years now. All right. 15 years. Yeah. See how the time flies. Yes. Uh, Obviously, I think it. Well, it should be obvious by this point. I would hope that the intention was never to do some quick surgical strike, remove Al Qaeda, which. We'll try to remember what's ostensibly the reason for this invasion in the first place, because Al-Qaeda had some training camps in this country. We're going to invade and bomb the smithereens out of the whole country, right? And then get out of there once that's mission accomplished. Wait, uh, but at least officially, Osama is dead for five years now um, in Pakistan. 
What are they doing in Afghanistan now? Clearly, the intention was never to just invade and leave. The intention was always to put a permanent American military presence right there in that extremely important area of the chessboard. Um, Obviously, with the ability to project outward into the Middle East, also into Central Asia, Afghanistan has been historically an exceptionally important um, geographical space for any would-be power to occupy, and the American empire is no different. 150 years ago, it, 150 years ago, it was the great game between Russia and the Great Britain, and Afghanistan was a central part of that great game. In this current day and age, it is still, um, essentially, it's the Anglo-American uh, power and versus Russian influence, Chinese influence in the region, and that's exactly why they want their toehold in there. It seems... It seems hard to believe that Afghanistan is such an important piece on the chessboard because it's impoverished, it's largely just a big stack of rocks, rocks on rocks on rocks. Uh, at least that's the impression we have in this country, and yet we are fighting to stay. I think it was, it might have been Brzezinski, I don't remember, but whoever first came up with the idea that. Afghanistan was critical to world domination, world power, whatever. Is that guy really a genius or was he some sort of an idiot? Is this true? Are we doing this because it's real or are we doing this because we think it's real? I think it is real. To a certain extent, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, So just the creation of the interest in a region creates real interest, which then creates real conflict. But I think there is, there has been historically uh, importance to that that region um, and the first well one of the first formulations of this was in fact um, Mackinder I forget was it Alfred Mackinder um, wrote about this a hundred plus years ago now talking about the world island which is what he called the Eurasian landmass all of that area um, that connects all the way from Europe all the way over to East Asia that landmass is the central part of the globe that needs to be controlled by any would-be ruling power. Um, And the central part of that world island was this area that um, encompasses Central Asia um, moving upward into Eastern Europe. That that part is so extremely important. And uh, now, of course, there are other reasons why we would say in the early 21st century why that area is important, including, of course, access to the Caspian Sea, and the Persian Gulf, both of which obviously have extensive resources. Afghanistan itself, although it is an impoverished nation, is certainly not just a bunch of rocks. In fact, it's been called um, the, Af- the, the Saudi Arabia of lithium with uh, an estimated trillion dollars of lithium deposits, which is certainly nothing to sneeze at, which was apparently just discovered by the USGS uh, five or six years after they invaded. Hey, who, who knew? Who could have guessed, right? But, uh, <laughs> oh, did but we yeah, get lucky or what? There are resource reasons, but also Afghanistan is smack dab in that region, right between the Middle East and Central Asia, uh, right there in the heart of it. And obviously on the doorstep of China um, and not too far from Russia and its interest in Central Asia with Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan. It's an extremely important square to occupy. And if if if. Um, NATO has a toehold in Afghanistan, which they do, then they have Iran completely surrounded and um, they have it contained. And Iran, of course, is a stepping stone toward China and Russia. What is our real relationship with Iran right now? 
do we we have the impression that President Obama has tried to make a better relationship with Iran. Has he succeeded? Can he succeed? Or is this just wishful thinking? I think there really has been a shift in recent years that has been somewhat to the benefit of Iran um, with the concluding of not, not just the nuclear deal. Now they're talking about this apparently hundreds of millions of dollars that was secretly sent to Iran, basically as presumably as a payoff for the hostages that were released mm-hmm. um, in, earlier this year. So there's some sort of shady shenanigans about that. And, th- and whether or not the Obama administration is really cozying up to Iran, that is certainly the impression that is being given. And that is the, what Saudi Arabia is taking out, out, out of all of this, which is part of the reason why Saudi Arabia is so mad with the United States and there is such tension between Saudi and the U.S. right now, which, again, as we've talked about before, is an extremely important thing because the Saudi-U.S. relationship is part of the backbone of the U.S. dollar itself with the petrodollar recycling scheme. So this has implications not just not just for the U.S., or not just for the Middle East, I mean, literally for the globe and the way that the monetary system itself is ordered. So there's some pretty big moves afoot, and I would be flabbergasted if whatever president comes in in November maintains that type of stance towards Iran. I'm going, I'm assuming that things are going to flip around again and Iran is going to become the demon of choice in that area. Speaking of uh, Saudi Arabia, I got an article from Zero Hedge and the headline is Saudi banks offered $4 billion bailout to avoid liquidity crisis. Bloomberg is reporting that the Saudi Arabian Monetary Agency, the Saudi Central Bank, has offered domestic lenders $4 billion in discounted one-year loans to ease liquidity constraints in an effort to avoid a full-blown banking crisis. Is is Saudi Arabia in deep economic trouble right now? Venezuela has collapsed because the price of oil has fallen. Um, Is Saudi Arabia in that kind of trouble, or potentially can we see it six months or a year from now, or is this much ado about nothing? Oh, I think it's it's much ado about something. I, I think that the, the pain that Saudi Arabia has been feeling in recent years is very real. And I think that they are, I mean, this is why they're starting to do the, the previously unthinkable things like starting to offload part of Saudi Aramco and things like that, which have been the basis of the Saudi government and its, uh, its position and its power. Uh, they wouldn't do something like that unless there's writing on the wall for the future of their, their economic health. And uh, I think that's that's starting to be felt. And there were some stories, I think it was earlier this year, uh, uh, recently, that uh, the Saudi uh, liquidity crisis, the Saudi government's liquidity crisis was such that they were going to have to start paying contractors with debt rather than with uh, with actual money because they just do not have the liquidity to 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 pay. So I think that there is a real liquidity crisis going on right now. And Saudi is definitely feeling feeling the economic uh, pinch right now. Are they in danger? Because I'm going to assume this liquidity crisis will continue as long as the price of oil remains low, crude oil. Um, how long can the price of crude oil remain in the neighborhood of 40 bucks a barrel? That is an excellent question. Um, I think it's already outperformed my expectations for this year. I wasn't even expecting it to get to the 40, 50 range um, until probably the end of the year. So it's it's already starting to come back up. But uh, there are still ongoing structural problems with the idea of oil coming back to what it was before, um, including the fact that no one can afford to stop pumping. 
And we've seen this. We've seen all of these threats. Oh, okay, OPEC's going to get their act together. They're going to start doing an oil cut. But they have not done so yet. And I don't think that they're able to. And Saudi Arabia is in the position with the liquidity crisis. They can't afford to stop pumping either. So the old controls on that, that market have come off. And it really is an open question. There's still, of course, always the, the, uh, the possibility of some, some form of crisis causing crisis prices. Um, uh, you know, some, some sort of event in, in Syria or some sort of invasion or, you know, whatever one can envision that would ca- cause upset in the region and uh, a destabilization of the flow of oil into the markets. And we could see return to you know, some sort of major spike. But barring that, there are structural problems still with the the uh, the oil markets. And uh, I think to a certain extent, maybe the genie is off the bottle and maybe OPEC can't get its magic back together and get everyone on board again because everyone has their own interests. And places like Venezuela and uh, Russia, they're, they're all undergoing their own economic problems of various sorts that mean they cannot stop pumping. Uh, I mean, not only that they can't stop pumping, but people suspect that they can't withstand, they can't tolerate new pumping from other countries. And I'm referring to Libya, who allegedly at least announced they were going to begin to start pumping again. <laughs> and about the same time, they wound up getting bombed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, exactly is right. This, yeah. Is this a coincidence? Are these two events unrelated pumping Oh, we're going to start pumping, and, and the government says we're going to start bombing. Are these just coincidence, or are they cause and effect? Well, even if they're not directly related, which I certainly think they could be, but even if it isn't that simply a direct relation, it's still generally the case that obviously the bombing and destabilization of Libya is what led to the rise of ISIS generally, of course, and also ISIS specifically in Libya, which is leading to the bombing. So it all comes around full circle, and it all has created the uh, the destabilization of the Libyan oil um, production. And, of course, that is continuing as the country has really broken into at least three pieces. There are at least now three governments that officially proclaim to be the government of Libya, um, and none of them really control the entire country. So it really is a failed state at this point, and a failed state has a lot of problems, you know, getting oil flowing in the way that it used to. So... Uh, whether or not, again, this is a direct consequence, um, it certainly is the, the sort of bigger picture of the linking of those events and something that I think, again, plays into the hands of people that were uh, concerned about Chinese investment in Africa generally and, of course, their, their close relationship with Libya. Uh, again, I'll note that one of the uh, the first targets of these rebels in the east of Libya that started all of this back in 2011, um, where it was the Chinese uh, uh, oil companies, and they were some of the first targets of these rebels. And one of the second targets was to create a new central bank. <laughs> uh, interesting how you know the, those rebels had their priorities uh, in order. Hey, you, when Gaddafi was in control, Colonel Gaddafi was uh, in control of Libya. They had the highest standard of living in Africa, and I think what this was a function. It had to be a function of they pumped the oil, and they gave generous portions of the profits to the Libyan people. And I would guess that's what allowed him to control a large, a significant number of different factions. Right now it's broken down into three separate factions. Will these factions ever be healed unless they start pumping again and generating huge profits and, and sharing those profits with the public? Well, Libya is a tribal society. Um, it has only cohered as a country because of 
the, uh, well, iron fist slash velvet glove of people like Gaddafi. Um, and that's, that certainly did keep a coherence in, in the society. Not, of course, everyone was happy, perfectly happy with the former government, but it was at least a workable relationship. At this point, once that has been smashed, I'm not sure that the pieces will fit back together. I'm not sure Libya does cohere as a country, as a nation state, because it is a tribal society that's split many different ways. Um, and if there is a chance of putting it together, I don't see how that's going to happen in the near term, and I don't see how it's going to happen with the so-called unity government uh, in in uh, Tripoli that the U.S. is supporting with its bombing raids. And uh, the U.S. can now proclaim from on high to be, oh, well, we're not... We're not necessarily picking sides here. We're just making sure that the terrorists don't gain a, gain a foothold in the country. But by bombing certain parts of the country at certain times at the request of the unity government, you are effectively backing them up. And when they start warring with the other parts, the other governments that claim to have control, then you're at least backing them up, if not directly aiding them. So you are picking favorites and you are picking which way it goes, which shouldn't be a surprise. But it's good to keep in mind that this mess was all created by the so, so-called humanitarian intervention which really was just a mask for the uh, the agenda, which was to destabilize, uh, well, to get rid of Gaddafi and to destabilize the country. And in that case, mission accomplished. And per, and presumably to destroy the pan-African gold-based currency that Gaddafi had in mind and was apparently getting close to implementing. There were a number of projects that I think this successfully derailed. The gold dinar is one of them. Um, the idea of creating uh, irrigation um, using the, the massive underground water supplies in Libya, the, a massive public works project was planned to bring, to basically to create a, a, a garden in the desert, um, which was the way it was being touted. Uh, that, of course, has come to a crashing halt, that, that kind of ambitious project. And um, yes, the African Union was becoming more of a coherent entity, and uh, Gaddafi was an important part of that. He also gave an, a pretty important speech several months before he uh, started getting targeted, in which he basically said, you know, there are two main competitors uh, for investment or exploitation of Africa at this time. It is the U.S. and China. And um, I We're going to have to let it go with that, James. I, I have to say thank you for being on the program again, as always. Um, enjoyed it. Insightful, informative, educational. Um, we'll be back in two weeks with James Corbett from the Corbett Report. I'm Alfred Addisk, and this is Financial uh, Survival. Um, I want to thank all of you for listening. Uh, good night.
The political, religious, and medical views presented on various shows heard on American Voice Radio Network are not necessarily the views held by the management of American Voice Radio and are not presented as an endorsement by this network. All statements heard on American Voice Radio are the sole responsibility and opinion of those who speak the particular statement. Most people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water.
Report. I'm your host, Francis Stephan. You are listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It is Wednesday, August 3rd, 2016. And uh, it's about, oh, well, nine minutes after 8 p.m. Pacific Time. So there you have it. If that's when it is where you're at, we are live. is how you can call in and get on the air. All right, so there you go. You can go to the chat room, too. Uh, I just went in there and said hi. So there it is. I'm in the chat room now, and uh, it's pretty pretty light in the chat room tonight, so uh, you could get in there and pop. Anyway, let's get to the things and stuff of the night. I don't have really any uh, meaningful, uh, you know, housekeeping stuff to take care of. So we'll just get to the uh, the bad news. Hmm? Oh, you're going to like this. Hillary Clinton's at it again. 
you know, that whole $400 million in cash. And, and, and when I say cash, folks, you know, a lot of you people out there, um, have you ever done tried to do business? Have you ever been in a cash-only business? And you tell people, you know, you got to sign, you cash only. And they hand you a check because they think that's like cash, because they're idiots. Okay, if I'm talking to you and you're insulted, tough. Cash is cash, checks are checks. They're not the same, all right? I mean, fundamentally, they are the same. They're both worthless pieces of paper with no backing whatsoever, but hey, you know... (laughs) Your promise is a heck of a lot better than the government's promise with that uh, Federal Reserve note. And you will be held accountable to keep that promise with a check. Go kite and bad checks. See what's happening to you. You can write me from prison. I read the uh, letters. Because that's where you'll be. But the Federal Reserve does it all day long. The United States government does it all day long. Nothing happens to them. That's just fine. But cash is cash. And when I say $400 million in cash, I mean pallets of physical Federal Reserve notes in a cargo plane full of pallets of cash to Iran, our good buddies in Iran. To release the hostages. So all that BS about we don't deal with hostages. Oh, that was pre-Obama. And plus, that's never been the case anyway. They've always dealt with terrorists. They've always made deals. They just don't let them get public. Now they can't help it. It's the... Listen, the Cuban Missile Crisis. I hate to, you know, burst everybody's bubble about John F. Kennedy and how brave and wonderful he was. Maybe he was brave. Maybe he was wonderful. But the Cuban Missile Crisis uh, doesn't prove that, okay? There better be something else that makes him brave and wonderful other than the Cuban Missile Crisis because his performance in that was nothing but a fraud, okay? Understand that. What we saw on TV and bought hook, line, and sinker was John F. Kennedy stared down the crazy commie Khrushchev over there and told him, yeah, we'll go to nuclear war. We'll set up a blockade, by golly, and you're not going across there, and we're tough, and we're big, and we're not scared of you, and and then the Russian backed down. Wow, what a great narrative. Boy, what a hero. Aren't we great? Hoorah, America. Well, except the uh, problem is that's not actually what happened. Yeah. That's that's the only bad thing about it. It's like Reagan, man. You watch Ronald Reagan on TV, you go, Oorah, go president. Yeah, baby, that's our president. America's great. We got a real good president up there. And, yeah, except, see, all the speeches he did were just pure, unadulterated BS. Okay? His policies never, ever reflected the wonderful speeches he gave. I don't know how long people will accept lies. How much longer, should I say? What happened in the Cuban Missile Crisis was, it started not because the Russians went crazy and decided, hey, I know what we'll do. 
uh, let's put some nukes over in the Caribbean that the U.S. won't do anything about it. That's not at all what happened. That's what we're led to believe. We were led to believe, well, the Soviet Union's just aggressive and they're just going to do this and they just, we got to push them back and blah, 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 blah. Just like we're saying today, Russia's aggressive. They're being aggressive. They're aggressors. That's like telling somebody after you slap them in the face like three or four times, they punch you in the nose. You scream that he assaulted me. He's an aggressor. He's a, it's a hate crime. Wah, 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 wah. Because what actually happened in the Cuban Missile Crisis was the United States decided to go put nuclear weapons in Turkey, pointed at the Soviet Union. Yeah, again, our good buddies, Turkey. Well, the Russians said, hey, you know, we protest. Tough luck, too bad. We're the United States. We'll do whatever the hell we want. Oh, okay, fine. Then we have allies in Cuba. So they made a deal with Cuba and said, fine. Then if that's how it is, we'll put missiles in Cuba. Oh, so the Pentagon then gets their panties in a little bundle because, oh, it's okay for us to threaten you, slap you in the face 50 or so times, but boy, you punch us in the nose, oh, you're the aggressor, you're bad, mm, I gotta do something about you. That's why when a bully starts slapping you around, don't break their nose anymore, kill him, end him, put him out of the misery so he doesn't come back and say, oh, you're the aggressor, this or that, the other thing, because he'll be dead. And yeah, you're going to have some explaining to do about a dead body. But you know what? You're going to have way more explaining to do with a living witness there to tell lies about you. So, they get their panties in a bundle and make this big thing. And then Russia finally says, hmm, well, hey, you know, those missiles in Turkey got to come out. You take them missiles out of Turkey... And we'll take our missiles out of Cuba. And the United States capitulated. Okay? It was the United States that backed down, not the Soviet Union. Little different narrative, isn't it? Oh, same result. It's all good. We we didn't die in a nuclear war, so that's that's great. But it's exactly the opposite of what you thought. The United States was the one that backed down. We took the missiles out of Turkey. Do you know what one of the stipulations that the United States government made with the Soviet government? Okay, but this has to be a secret. You can't tell anybody this was our deal. Because if you do, deal's off. And they didn't. Because unlike the United States, you know, the Soviet Union, I guess, kept their promises. At least some of them. That's something the United States government has never done with anybody. Hey, let's ask an uh, American Indian. <laughs> you know, <laughs> hey, how's those promises coming? Huh? How you doing? No, I, I don't have any whiskey for you. Sorry. Yeah. Anyway, 
Anyhow, so, you know, that's the thing. So $400 million to Iran, right? Hillary Clinton doing an interview, not a press conference, though, but an interview, a staged interview, like they all are. It came up. Do you know what she said about it? Do you know what her her whole deal about this was? That's old news. What? That's old news. What does it matter anyway? Yeah, they're dead. What does it matter? That's old news. What does it matter? Well, what it matters is that you're not in prison. That's what matters. See, it's not old news until you go to prison. Because you've got four years of crimes, and you know, prison's a real nice thing. Because really, Hillary Clinton should be hanged for treason, along with her little monkey husband, Bill Clinton. Of course, you know what? He ought to have his gonads cut off and his thing cut off for, you know, let him live for a few years without that. Think about it. Then hang him for treason. Oh, yeah, sure, after his speedy trial, like real speedy. They are guilty of treason, and it is clear to everyone. It is obvious. It has been witnessed by the whole world, not just Americans. The whole world understands the Clintons have committed treason. And yet, we go on and on and on about Hillary Clinton. It's, it's amazing. So here's something interesting. Remember earlier today I told you that Josh Ernest, right, with his phony made-up name, even their names. Are you kidding me, Josh Ernest, really? <laughs> you do know what Ernest means, right? Yeah. Honest. Yeah, not not so much, huh? Yeah, he said that, oh, uh, the elections will not be rigged. Oh, well, I feel a lot better now. That's no problem. So the Democrats only wanted to rig the primaries. But they're not going to rig the general election. Is that what you're telling me, Josh? Really? Well, that'd be nice, except Josh is a liar because, you know, that's his job. Here's something that should give us all concern about the upcoming elections. Warren Buffett endorses Hillary Clinton. Listen, they call this guy the Oracle of Omaha. They act like he's some investment genius. He's nothing but an insider with billions of dollars. Folks, let me tell you something. If I gave you $50 billion, and then I gave you all the inside information about what laws were going to be passed and what regulations were going to be set, and who was, uh, you know, buying who and which company. You know what? You could be a spectacular oracle investor yourself. Anybody could. All right? So he endorses Hillary Clinton. And his son sits on the board of directors of the Commission of Presidential Debates. That's right. He sits on the board of directors of the Commission on Presidential Debates. He's the middle son of Warren Buffett. He's a businessman, a philanthropist, and former politician. Yeah, he was a commissioner in Douglas County, Nebraska. Woohoo, 
big time. Do you know why people like Buffett's kids become commissioners in counties? To pass ordinances so their companies can make more money. That's why. Yep. So who heads the pre- the Commission on Presidential Debates? See, Trump's already objected to the dates they've selected because the dates they selected are during big NFL games that, you know, the audience is going to be smaller. And this is the thing the Presidential Commission doesn't want a lot of people watching Hillary Clinton. Hey, Trump wants everybody to watch. Clinton doesn't want anybody to watch. She would prefer not to debate at all because she's going to get torn to shreds. I just hope Trump can control himself and and just not rip her head off of her shoulders right on stage. Because I'm not so sure I could. No, really, I, I, you know... Look, I'll do my debate in a, in a glass in a glass cage, okay? Because if I don't, I'm going to kill her. Gee, and that would make people upset, wouldn't it? Yeah, they'd say, "Oh my gosh, she's crazy." No, Hillary Clinton is a criminal creature that should be hanged. She should have been hanged 30 years ago, okay? I'm not joking about that. I'm not just saying that. She should have been hanged 30 years ago with her husband for treason against the United States of America. No lie. Honestly, folks, and if you don't think treason could be proven against these two, you're dreaming. The only reason it hasn't been is because they paid off and threatened and killed everybody who might have done it. You don't think so? Find out about Mena, Arkansas. How they operated down there. They even killed teenage boys who stumbled upon their illegal activity, just like a common thug would. So here's the people on here. Howard G. Buffett. He's the chairman and CEO of the Howard G. Buffett Foundation. Wow. John C. Danforth former U.S. Senator. Mitchell E. Daniels, president of Purdue University. Wow. Liberal, liberal. Charles Gibson, former anchor, ABC World News, with Charles Gibson. Liberal. John Griffin, manager, director, Allen & Company. Don't know who he is. Jane Harmon, director, president, COO, Woodrow Wilson International Center for Scholars, oh, globalists. Antonia Hernandez, President and CEO of California Community Foundation, obviously a liberally legal alien. Reverend John I. Jenkins, President, University of Notre Dame, Catholic. Have you gotten a load of the Pope recently? Oh, yeah. Jim Lerner. Former executive editor and anchor of the News Hour on PBS. Well, I always thought Lerner, you know, McNeil and Lear, uh, Lerner used to do a uh, a news report that I watched as a kid on PBS. It was one of those required watching things my dad made me do. But uh, 
at the time, I thought they were they were pretty even-handed. You know, I mean, of course, they may have changed. Hey, at the time, you know, John F. Kennedy was a Democrat. Do you realize John F. Kennedy would be too conservative to even be in the Republican mainstream today? That's how left everything has gone. Do you realize that, folks? You understand what's happened just since 1960? Newton N. Min- Minow, senior counsel, Sydney Austin, don't know what that is. Richard D. Parsons, senior advisor, Providence Equity Partners. Dorothy S. Ridings, former president of the League of Women Voters and former president and CEO of Council on Foundations. That, that, that's a globalist liberal right there. Olympia Snow. Oh, man. Yeah, liberal, liberal, liberal. She might call herself a Republican. Former U.S. Senator. Shirley M. Tillman, former president, Princeton University. Oh, my gosh, there's no more of a globalist university on the planet than that. Now, this person says they will set Trump up guaranteed. Well, of course they will. But you know what? They set him up all through the primary debates, too, and he did just fine. Do you know why he did just fine? Because the American people are at the point where they want somebody to get up there and let these dirtbag, pieces of garbage, globalist pigs try to do bad to you. And for you to stand up and just say, hey, you know what? Screw you, you liberal pig. Yeah, that's right. You, you girl, you're a pig. Okay, pig. Get it? Go look in the mirror, pig. And the American people are cheering for that. Because you know what? We're sick of this crap. And people want to hear somebody get up and stop taking it. And start dishing it out to these scumbags. Now this guy here says we should all boycott the debates. I disagree. You know, boycotting a television program really doesn't do much good. I mean, look, if I had kids... I boy well I well gee I don't have kids and I still boycott a TV. <laughs> All right, but you know the thing is here is that I suppose you know they on cable they can keep track of what you're watching and even the satellite. Hey, do you know that's why folks, if you have like Dish Network or something, they make you plug your deal into the telephone. You ever wonder why? Oh, yeah, that's to buy movies. No, it isn't. Okay. You know what they could do? You could watch all, yeah, Red, get all the movies you want. We'll keep track. And we'll charge you in your next bill. You don't pay? We'll cut you off. They don't need that for that. What they do is they use it to find out what you're watching. Because that goes over the phone line to a modem. And they keep track of what you're watching. They download off that, what do they call that thing? That, you know, the cable, uh, the satellite box. Yeah. So something like that, you know, they can. Now, here's something before we go to break. For everybody out there who thinks, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, this uh, gun control thing, this is going to work real good. This is going to be great. 
<laughs> well, let's see here. Trying to find this before I go to break. You know, that's, of course, that's going to be a problem now because, well, I'm trying to find it. All right, well. Uh, let's see. Ah, here it is. July gun sales crush previous records. The number of gun-related background checks performed in July far exceeded those of any previous July. Newly released numbers for the FBI show. Yeah, the National Instant Criminal Background Check System, or NICS, processed nearly 2.2 million checks last month. That represents an increase of almost 600,000 checks over the previous record set last year. <laughs> it's also an increase of more than a million checks over July 2011. The July record is the latest in a string of 15 record-setting months for firearm background checks. <laughs> oh, man. This calendar year, this calendar year, with more than 16 million checks on record thus far, remains on pace to break the NICS or check record for a single year set in 2015. Woo-hoo! We are number one, right? Folks, you know, okay, 2.2 million a month for eight years. Okay, let's just say a million a month for eight years. Wow. So, you know, how many guns are there in America? 200 million? Oh, so their plan is to do what? Go around and collect all the guns? Oh, man. Hey, you know what? Good luck with that, partner. Because I'm pretty sure you're going to run out of agents as people start shooting you as you come to their door long before Americans run out of guns. Might want to think about that before you uh, put your little plan into action. But my little plan to go into action right now is to take a break. We'll do that. We'll be back in a bit. The Eastern world, it is exploding. Violence flaring, bullets loading. You're open up to kill, but not for voting. You don't believe in war, but what's that gun you're toting? And even the Jordan River. Everybody's smoking, but yeah. Tell me. Hate 
there isn't red China Then take a look around To Selma, Alabama You may be here For four days in space But when you return It's the same old place The pounding of the drums The pride and disgrace You can bury your dead But don't leave a trace Hate your next door neighbor But don't forget to say great man that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. Most people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills 
distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water.
All right, we're back. This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Stephan. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It's Wednesday, August 3rd, 2016, about 8.43 out here on the Pacific Time Coast. If that's when it is where you're at, we're live. 800-932-1980 is the call-in number, and also you can go to the chat room. Look, a few more people in there now than there was, and you can be one of them people. TheAmericanVoice.com or AmericanVoiceRadio.com. And, um, you know, everything you need to know about the networks on there, plus the chat rooms there and uh, all that. Anyhow, uh, hey, did you know? (laughs) Because, uh, you know, you... uh, I'm sure you've seen the news about the tests of the rail gun that eh, didn't really work the way it ought to. And, uh, you know, they tested lasers that eh, didn't really work the way they ought to. And, well, they got an aircraft carrier that doesn't really work at all. And they have an F-35 that, well, it doesn't work the way it ought to. And, you know, everything they build is crap and it doesn't work because corruption has gotten so deep in the military contracting and uh you know how they get how they go about getting weapons and who they deal with it has become so corrupt that now everything is garbage because it's not about making anything it's about making deals rather than making products okay here's something uh a headline russia's combat laser weapon declassified oh so, uh, wait a minute, they have a laser weapon, and uh, it was classified, but not anymore, because, well, we've had it a while. See, what? when do weapon systems become declassified? Well, they become declassified when, well, pretty much they've had them a long time, and everybody knows about them. Because, well, you know, we've used them. People have seen them. And cat's out of the bag. There's no point in having it classified anymore if everybody knows about it. Yeah, Russian Deputy Defense Minister Yuri Borisov said that the Russian armed forces received prototypes of laser weapons. According to the official, these are namely combat but not experimental weapons that have been already taken into service by the Russian army. Darn. It's too bad we can't make our laser weapons work. Gee, that's a shame, isn't it? You know, it's a shame about our air superiority platform, too, because, you know, oh, yeah, that's another thing. The Russians' fifth-generation fighter air superiority platform is already flying around in Syria. Yeah, that's right. I'm telling you, folks. We can have all the special forces in the world. We can have all the little Rambos running around in the world. They can be the toughest, meanest, baddest guys that eat gunpowder for breakfast. But if they don't have air support, they're over. Okay? And you don't get air support unless you have air superiority. And you don't have that unless you have air superiority jet fighters. We don't have them anymore. Our air superiority jet fighters that were the finest in the world, the F-15 and the F-16, even the F-17, 
they're about almost 50 years old now. Uh, you know, hey, things progress. People come up with new, better things that work better. That's the nature of stuff. Hey, whatever happened to that F-22? Oh, yeah, it was crap that took so long to make it work by the time they could make it fly the way it was supposed to. It was obsolete. Hmm. Well, it's just something to think about, folks, because you know what? Any of you hawks out there that think, yeah, let's go kick Russia's ass. Yeah, let's do that. Why don't you go do that? Better yet, why don't you just save yourself the trip and blow your brains out right where you are because that's what's going to happen to you anyway, so you might as well just save everybody a bunch of time. Why don't you go down to the coroner and blow your brains out down there? You know, save them the trip to your house. Honestly, really. The United States... You know what? Russia and China aren't afraid of the United States military anymore. What they're afraid of is economic collapse. Because you see, what happens in economic collapse is the people go crazy. And now, you don't have to take my word for it. Why don't we just take a spin on down south to Venezuela, where things are... It's a socialist paradise, according to... Barbara Streisand and Michael Moore. Yeah, they think, oh, it's wonderful. They don't have any food. Okay? They have riots in the streets, people being killed for $2. You see, Venezuela is a you know, fairly sparsely populated place based on their land. Uh, China, mm, not so much. You see, China's not worried about the United States military. They're more worried about, oh, I don't know, a billion Chinese. Yeah, that's where their worries are. Because you know what's going to happen if the communist paradise crashes and burns, those billion Chinese are going to be looking for the party members. Yeah. That's what they're afraid of. And the United States still is driving the bus on the world economy. That's the only thing keeping everything together. I wouldn't count on it for much much longer, though, folks. The Summer Olympics in Rio are are just a disaster, so I'm not even going to go into it. I mean, they've got, you know, they've got crime. They've got disease. The waters are polluted. I mean, they said three teaspoons of water will end you up in the hospital. <laughs> oh, man. Now, remember when I said... Gee, you know, I'm not that worried about uh, Greece or Cyprus or, you know, these little places here. And I mentioned, well, you know, you better watch out for places like Spain and Italy. 
Because when they start crashing and burning, then European, the European Union has real problems. Well, sometimes, you know, it just sucks to be right. Here's a headline. Italian, and this is from July 31st, so a couple days ago. Italian bank failures could disintegrate the EU. Wow. I guess you could consider disintegrating a bad thing. Uh-huh. Another bank- banking crisis looms on Europe's horizon. Jeez, it's just one after the other, isn't it? Well, that's because they've been doing so. You know, you, you know what? We talk, look at what's going on in Europe. Look what's going on in the United States. Don't you think that it is a plan to destroy Western civilization? I mean, exactly the same things are happening in Europe that are happening here. They all decided, to. oh yeah, hey, I got a great idea. Why don't we let Muslim savages into our country by the millions? Yeah, let's do that. Let's not check their ID. Let's just let them all in. Yeah, that's a great idea. Well, now they have other problems. Another banking crisis looms. But this time, it will unfold from Italy, Europe's fourth largest economy. Where loan, you see... And you could know this too, folks. I don't have any inside information. I don't have any crystal ball. All I do is read stories about things going on. And, you know, when I see things that, hmm, these things seem to go together. Hmm, these must, I think, I don't think this is a coincidence. Hmm. And then there's always the thing that I try to encourage you folks to do even though sometimes it's a little distasteful, but if you want to understand what's going on, I feel it's necessary. You have to actually try to think like the bad guys do. Okay? Put yourself in their position. All right? And yes, you have to just say, okay, well, you go, well, no morality. Okay? I don't care about right and wrong. I just care, you know, what... What gets me my goal? And then, what would you do? Well, you can learn a lot by that, because these people, they, you know, they like to say, Trump is unhinged. Unhinged? Really? This is coming from these people? Unhinged? Their picture is under unhinged in the dictionary, for crying out loud. Where loan defaults, this is Italy, threaten to endanger not only Italy's economy, but all of Europe. There are over 300 billion euros in bad loans in the banking system, which represents about 18% of all loans, which is an unusually high level when compared to other countries. For example, less than 5% of France's loans and only 1.5% of Germany's loans are considered to be bad. That's what they're admitting to. After the 2012 banking crisis, the European Union passed rules that require bank shareholders to pay the bailout before EU intervenes. In Italy's case, the shareholders tend to be small, private households that stand to lose a significant amount of their savings. But did the banks fail, or whether they are bailed out by the shareholders? The government of Prime Minister 
Matteo Renzi stands to lose no matter what happens. Well, there you go. There you have it. Italy is on the way, folks. Keep your eyes peeled for that because, you see, uh, well, Spain, keep your eyes peeled for that, too. All right, here is something from Zero Hedge. The grim reality is that real inflation is 7 and above percent per year. This week, I've noted that consumer prices have soared 160% since 2001, while under the radar, declines in value, quality, and quantity are forms of inflation hidden in plain sight. Yes, that's right. Why would, you see, he's counting real, real inflation as in money, but, you know, when you go to the store and you've got the same size box, but the little bag inside of it holds half as much and it, it's the same price, folks, you just got charged double, even though you don't realize it. Until you start wondering, gee, why am I buying this so often? Are we eating too much? What would happen if the real rate of inflation was revealed? The entire status quo would immediately implode. Consider the immediate consequences to Social Security interest rates and the cost of refinancing government debt. Unbiased private sector efforts to calculate the real rate of inflation have yielded a rate of around 7% to 13% per year. I think it's higher, folks, depending on the locale. Many multiples of the official rate of around 1% a year. So what happens if the status quo accepted the reality of a 7% inflation? Here's a few of the consequences. Social Security beneficiaries would demand annual increases of 7 plus percent instead of zero or near zero increases. The Social Security system, which is already distributing more benefit payments than it is receiving in payroll tax revenues, would immediately go deep in the red. Please don't claim the SSA trust fund will be solvent for decades. I've dismissed the fraud of the illusionary trust fund many times. The reality is the federal government has to borrow every dollar of deficit spending by Social Security by selling more Treasury bonds, just as it borrows every other dollar of deficit spending. Yes, there is no trust fund, folks. And, and you know what? You don't need an economist to tell you that. Just go read, some, uh, go read, a, uh, go read a Supreme Court ruling that said the same thing about Social Security taxes as it did, well, Social Security system as it did the Obamacare. It's a tax. That's what they ruled Social Security is. It's a supplemental federal income tax, period. It's not a trust fund. It's not an insurance fund. You're not entitled to it. You're just lucky they haven't erased it yet. That's all. You didn't pay into anything. You paid your taxes. Once you give your money to the government, they can do whatever the hell they want with it. It isn't yours anymore. You don't get to say, oh, wait a minute. No. Because there is no Social Security account. There is no trust fund. There is no insurance policy. Okay? And they just lied to you. It's simply a tax. A tax. Tax, tax, tax. So everybody out there who pays the tax, run around and tell all the government officials that you want something in return. Ah, I paid in. You owe it to me. They'll laugh in your face. 
and rightfully so. Global investors might start demanding yields on Treasury bonds that are above the real rate of inflation. <laughs> yeah, they'd need at least 8% to make any profit at all. Private sector interest rates would also rise, crushing private borrowing. It goes on and on. It's it's just an unraveling thing. And uh, I got to go now, but, you know, I, I wanted to get into this story, but it just goes to show what the, uh, the UN's really about. They want to tax meat until it's too expensive to eat. Now, you think Donald Trump's not going to be able, it's going to get too expensive for Donald Trump to eat steaks? You think Hillary Clinton, it's going to get too expensive for her to eat steaks? No. It might get too expensive for you and me, but not them. And you know what? That's okay, because they don't give a damn about you or me. Understand this about these politicians. Understand this about the UN. They don't care about anybody except themselves. Anyway, I got to go. I'll be back again tomorrow. Stay tuned. We got good stuff coming up. And as always, thanks for listening. Political, religious, and medical views presented on various shows heard on American Voice Radio Network are not necessarily the views held by the management of American Voice Radio and are not presented as an endorsement by this network. All statements heard on American Voice Radio are the sole responsibility and opinion of those who speak the particular statement. Expert on the Constitution of the United States and the Bill of Rights. 
He has studied law for over 25 years and has a courtroom win-loss rate of over 90%. He is not an attorney. Carl prefers representing himself in propria persona, as he delights in tying federal prosecutors in knots, often winning the praise and respect of the judges at the same time. Carl is a highly decorated hero of the Vietnam War, serving in the elite Apache troop as a paratrooper and crew chief. The famous movie, Apocalypse Now, and the best-selling book, Apache Sunrise, are based on the true life experiences of this group of brave and patriotic Americans. Carl Miller was inducted into the Top Secret Project Blue Book, and he considers it an honor to have served in several operations supporting Lieutenant Colonel James Bo Greitz, including Operation Eagle Snatch. Carl is a veteran of hundreds of dangerous parachute jumps, breaking his legs or ankles six times, shot down four times, personally shot twice. Carl has miraculously escaped death numerous times. Carl credits divine intervention and God's providence for preserving his life unto this day so he may complete the most important mission of his life, that of teaching others the importance of the Constitution of the United States and how to use it, and by using it, thus preserving it. Carl has taught hundreds of people, including housewives and truck drivers, the fine art of arguing the Constitution and winning in court. Carl says it's easy once you know how, and a whole lot of fun, too. Good evening, folks. I want to thank you for inviting me into your home tonight to talk to you about an extremely important issue to you. I, I basically uh, uh, am here to talk about the United States Constitution and our government and uh, some of the principles that uh, you need to understand most thoroughly so that you can have an effective opportunity to exercise your constitutional rights. The whole purpose of this is that you understand that these, these rights come from God. Okay, that they are God-inspired. God is the one who, who endowed us with these rights, and that this Constitution merely uh, offers a legitimate program to protect those rights or to secure those rights and the blessings of those rights on ourselves and on our children for all time. It's important that you understand that the Constitution is uh, God-inspired. It's important that you understand that a lot of the principles that are in the Constitution actually come out of the Holy Bible, okay? And it's very important that you understand that this Constitution allows each of you each to be a king or queen in your own right, as long as you recognize one principle, that you don't ever create a situation where you take away the rights of another. So the whole point of, of having the Constitution is so that all of us can have the rights equally, and, and, and as long as we respect our neighbor and allow them also to have the rights equally, the, the, the protections are, are, are going to last forever. And, and the reality is that... We are going to get thoroughly into your Constitution. We want you to find a Constitution wherever you can, and we are going to basically take you step by step through some of the most important parts of this Constitution so that you can better exercise your rights in a timely fashion. Now, the facts are simple. If you don't know your rights, you don't have any rights, and that's just the way it is. And if you certainly couldn't exercise those rights timely if you don't know what they are, so what's going to happen is they're going to tell you what your rights are, and do you think they're going to tell you in your favor? Certainly not. Now, We've come a long way to put this program on to help you. By the way, my name is Carl Miller. I want to thank you again for inviting me into your home. We're going to proceed with vigor. Uh, I should tell you a few things about me, that I'm a, a prior service soldier. I served three combat tours in the Republic of Vietnam. 
I should tell you that I was a participant in the top secret project called Blue Book, where the officers in the jungle smelled a rat in a woodpile, and they decided to pull their, their top soldiers aside, and they come on over here, let's come on over here, we want to talk to you. And they took their top soldiers in the corner, and they started teaching them things like duty, honor, country, pride in the Corps. They taught us history. They taught us all kind of a, a programming as far as what's going on in our government. They taught us the Constitution. We had to be able to rattle the Constitution off just like we would any manual of arms. And this all took place to totally top secret so that we wouldn't offend any uh, chains of command or any uh, presidential problems similar to what uh, happened between General MacArthur. Yeah, the bottom line is... Uh, this was taken totally upon their own, shall we say, careers to pull this thing off. And uh, they, this happened all throughout a lot of the military services in Vietnam. Uh, Marine Corps, Air Force, Army, we all, they all pulled aside their best people and they started putting everything on and teaching us our Constitution. So I'm going to try and instill in you that flame that was instilled in me over 25 years ago, in which I have been I have been transferring ever since. I have been fighting tooth and nail to defend the Constitution. I have helped thousands and thousands and thousands of other people do the same. I teach people how to be their own counsel, to stand up in courts of law, and be able to exercise their constitutional rights in a timely and effective manner. And uh, the good Lord willing, I'll be able to keep doing that. So why don't we uh, right now try and get into some parts of the Constitution. The most important thing that I can teach you about this Constitution is the importance of reading it. You must read the Constitution and understand what physically is involved. You must know your rights and timely assert them. That is your burden. If you do not, then a legal term called latches incurs is in full force. Latches is a legal term which is defined as an as a Latches is a species of action wherein a party of reasonable intelligence and integrity, having a right to take an action as is prescribed by law and having failed to timely do so, loses all right to proceed. So what is actually happening out there, folks, is that latches is incurring because most people don't read their constitution and know what's involved. So then you are left to being told, well, that's what it means. Okay, so you just got to do what you got to do, and you're told, and, and they're going to tell you in favor of them. They're not going to tell you in favor of you. So it's better for you to read the book and understand what's in it. It's not a very big book. I, I highly recommend the book. I, you can get several versions. Uh, a lot of times you contact your congressman. Uh, my congressman, Dominic Vincentini, uh, state senator, supplied this one for me. Uh, John Kuhn, a libertarian candidate, has supplied several also. Uh, some of these folks, uh, just check with your local uh, congressman or state rep. Uh, a lot of times you can, they'll just give you one. If you cannot find one, go down to your United States uh, government building here in the Detroit vicinity. We, it's called the McNamara Building on the first floor. And uh, what we do then is we uh, go into the government printing office, and usually they're about a buck. But I highly recommend you go get one. I, I don't leave home without mine. I usually have three or four of them someplace. And I hand them out also myself. I give them out to whoever. I, I think one of the most kindest things I can do to a person is give them this book and show them how it works. This book is kind of like a genie in a bottle. If you know how to stroke this book, I'm telling you, the genie comes out. And it usually, with a force that, that you it will be clearly recognized in any court in the land. Now that doesn't mean it'll be easy. You might have to work a little bit. But basically there's an argument, and it comes like this. 
If I violate your rights, you may or may not know about it. If you know about it, you may or may not be able to do something about it. If you do have an ability to do something about it, you may or may not have the financial wherewithal to, to go to a finished program. If you do have the, the financial wherewithal, you may not have the intestinal fortitude to go to a finished program. So most of the time, your governments and your, your abusive uh, personalities in government or your corporations uh, pretty much have carte blanche to to injure you because in 99.9% of the cases nobody most people will not proceed but every now and then you run into that one hard nut and he doesn't quit or she doesn't quit till the cows come home and what happens is that person will prevail and those are the people that are actually generating better protections and better constitutional rights for you those are the ones that are going to the supreme courts and the courts of appeals and what have you that are pushing that are spending their life funds to allow you to have the benefit but if you aren't there to catch the benefit then you, you the benefit is lost so we're going to get right into the constitution we're going to teach you some things about it pay attention because we're really doing this out of an act of love for you and we're hoping to god you're going to pick up on it and pay attention okay now I'm going to put one constitution down here so the folks can see it. I will open this up from time to time to demonstrate things to you. I will basically try and read out of another constitution so that we can better show you some of the things that are involved. Now, it's important that you understand that this constitution is in writing. It's important that you understand that it is a legal document, okay, that it was ratified by all of the members in a Congress together, right? And that that document can be, you can get all the signatures on the document. Okay? And it's important that you understand that there was an offer, government offered to govern. There was a consideration. The citizens considered how they were going to be governed. And government promised that they would govern by Constitution. And there was an agreement. The citizens agreed that if government promised there would be a government by Constitution, that they would agree to allow the Constitution into force. Now, there's a unique situation here. It's very rare when you find the party of the first part, which is the congressmen, officers of the government, who are also parties of the second part as representatives of we the people, the republic. And when they signed the document, they signed the document as officers of government, agreeing to the Constitution, and simultaneously as officers of representatives of the people in the republican form of government. And when they signed that document, that constituted a ironclad contract in writing enforceable in a court of law pursuant to the statute of frauds. Here in the state of Michigan, that's 566.132, Michigan Compile Laws Act, which basically states anything in writing is enforceable in a court of law pursuant to the statute of frauds. Now, all we're asking is that they enforce the contract. We want them to enforce the contract. In other words, if we read something in here and we got a good reason for why we believe it's the way it is, then they should honor that. And they should honor it in favor of you, the clearly intended and expressly designated beneficiary. But I'll get into that a little later. The program that you should understand, especially, is Article 6, Paragraph 2 of the Constitution. This is called the Supremacy Clause of the Constitution. It's located at Article 6. Everybody see that? Paragraph 2, which is going to start right here, and I'm going to read it to you. Okay? And basically what it says is this, this Constitution and the laws of the United States, which shall be made in pursuance thereof, and the treaties made or which shall be made under the authority of the United States, 
shall be the supreme law of the land, and the judges in every state shall be bound thereby. Anything in the Constitution or laws of any state to the contrary or notwithstanding. When they say notwithstanding, that means notwithstanding in law. That means that's a legal definition. Notwithstanding means notwithstanding in law. Now, a very important case, Marbury versus Madison, 5 U.S. 137. Pardon my reaching here. Marbury versus Madison, 5 U.S. 137. It's recorded at volume 5. Right here, it's an 1803 case, Marbury versus Madison. It's recorded in volume five, page 137. Now basically what this case states, and, and I'm telling you right now, if you want to use a case to cite for any purpose in court, you have to read the case. If you haven't read the case, you haven't read the case and formed a basis upon which a logical determination in your mind could have been reached to form an opinion as to why you should do what you're going to do, then the judge will throw your case out. So read your cases. Don't just quote cases because that won't, you won't win. If the judge ever pins you down and starts asking you some merits of the case and you can't even understand what the case is about, nine times out of ten, he's just going to throw your case in the, in, the, in the can. So make sure you read the case. This is one of the leading cases in the history of the United States of America. The opinion of the court was given by the Honorable Judge John Marshall, Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. His opinion was, anything that is in conflict is null and void of law. Clearly, he said that for a secondary law to come in conflict with the Supreme Law was illogical. For certainly the Supreme Law would prevail over all other law. And certainly our forefathers had intended that the Supreme Law would be the basis of all law. And for any law to come in conflict would be null and void of law. It would bear no power to enforce. It would bear no obligation to obey. It would purport to settle as if it never existed. For unconstitutionality would date from the enactment of such a law, not from the date so branded in an open court of law. No courts are bound to uphold it, and no citizens are bound to obey it. It operates as a mere nullity or a fiction of law, which means it doesn't exist in law. Now let me give you an example in today's timing as to how effective this is. This argument is so effective that it literally nullifies the Brady Bill. It nullifies the crime bill that takes away the right of the people to keep and bear arms on these 19 weapons that turn into 159 weapons. It uh, stops this 666 bill that just went through that they're trying to take away the Fourth Amendment. You see, because they have no power to pass a law that's in conflict with the United States Constitution. And it's automatically null and void of law from its inception, not from the date you go to court and brand it as unconstitutional. Now, I want to get that real clear. A lot of people think that they got to go to court and brand it unconstitutional. I'm here to tell you, if you know your arguments and you can show your arguments, most of the time you will win. Every now and then you run into a hard nose, but I'll show you how to deal with him too, okay? But for now, I want everybody that's got a chance to go out to learn your Constitution, your Article 6, Paragraph 2 of your Constitution. I want you to, to pay attention to what's going on here. Learn to read about this Marbury versus Madison case. I want to show you, pardon my reach again, this right here is an example of what is called Shepherd Citations. Shepherd Citations is a group of reporters that go through and keep track of all the court cases that have come before the courts, especially the Supreme Court. And they clarify before the court all of the cases. Each one of these little numbers here represents somebody hiring a lawyer and going to the Supreme Court. 
Every one of these. There's nine pages of these, folks. Almost 200 years worth that goes against this case, Marbury versus Madison. And I want to tell you, this case is still supreme law of the land. If it wasn't, you would see O's in here where it was overturned, okay? You don't see any O's. There aren't any O's. That means the case is standing. There'd be an O in this column right next to here. You don't see any O's because there's no case that could come up against this case. That's how strong this case is, folks. Now, this is nine pages. Each This is two pages each. There's nine pages of this. This represents, if I was to, def, to, to try and teach you what this represents, if I was building a wall from here to the moon, out of bricks, that's what that would mean in legal terms because that's how solid this case is. So it's very important that you understand your Constitution is an ironclad contract in writing enforceable in the court of law. It's very important that you understand Article 6, Paragraph 2, the Supremacy Clause, which says the Constitution and the laws and pursuance thereof and the treaties made or which shall be made under the authority of the United States shall be the supreme law of the land. The judges in every state shall be bound thereby. Anything in conflict or repugnancy is null and void of law. It bears no power to enforce, no obligation to obey, purports to settle as if it never existed, unconstitutionality dates from the enactment. No courts are bound to uphold it. No citizens are bound to obey it. Now, that is one of the most important lessons that I can teach you on the Constitution so that you can understand how strong this document is. You see? And when I go to the law library and I hit some of these law libraries, it's wall-to-wall -wall books, folks. I mean, it's like I take people down there and their chin's on the ground. And then I tell them, there's three floors of this place just like this, filled to the brim with books and books. And did you know that in every one of those cases, this little book right here, this one right here, folks, controls every single book in that law library. Every single one. Every single book in that law library is controlled by this little book. So can you understand how important it is for you to know what's in this little book so that you can effectively call on that kind of a commanding knowledge? Okay? It is absolutely vital that you get a hold of one of these books and start learning it and don't let anybody take away your constitutional rights. You cannot, you can't even give your constitutional rights away. You have to voluntarily acquiesce by signing a document on a Miranda release form. That's how hard it is to give away your constitutional rights. We don't want you to give away any of your rights. We want you to know these rights backward, forward, upside down, and other. We want you to be able to rattle them off. Our soldiers could do it. And they did it with, with the great love in their heart and the pride and the, and the duty that they hold in their heart. And they swore on a sacred oath that they defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And then they perform their duties to the best of their ability, so help them God. And by God, they do, both in the service and out of the service, okay? We defend the Constitution to the death. We never surrender. We are soldiers above all. And we love our country and our flag and our Constitution. We are what the, the term is under the... The military code of conduct, I am an American fighting soldier. I serve the forces which guard my country in its constitutional way of government. I am prepared to give my life if necessary in defense of that constitution. And that's exactly what we're going to do. So I want you to pay attention. A lot of brave soldiers have died to pay for this book so that you could have the right. And the least you could do for your own self's sake is to learn what's in this book and be able to argue effectively what's in this book. You would be amazed how many times you can win if you just have this book and know what's in it. Okay? Now, that we get that by, we're going to go into some other arguments here. We're going to try and show you how to really effectively use this book. Okay? Now that everybody's got that in hand. The next thing we're going to start teaching you is things like about the Second Amendment. 
The Second Amendment is one of the biggies that everybody talks about today and the one that gets railroaded probably the most. The next is the Fourth Amendment and the Fifth Amendment, okay? But the Second Amendment is one of the most vital amendments here because our forefathers had such an important understanding of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, that was the First Amendment, that they turned around and realized that without the right to protect that first right, they didn't have that right. So the Second Amendment, they, they instituted the right of the people to keep and carry arms, and that right shall not be infringed. Now, they started out by saying a well-regulated militia being necessary for the maintenance of a free state. Okay? Isn't that a true statement, folks? A well-regulated militia is necessary for the security of a free state. That's just a true statement. So is oranges are orange. That's why they call them oranges. Okay? But that doesn't have any legal precedence in theory. The most important part about that Second Amendment is it says the right of the people. And the Supreme Court has ruled in hundreds of cases that whenever it says the right of the people, it means the right each of every single citizen to possess the right equally. Now, a lot of guys like to hand out this Manola that, well, that's a collective right. You've got to be a member of the militia. That's all who done. You don't have to be a member of the militia. All you have to do is be an American. You have the right. The right to keep and carry arms, and that right shall not be infringed. Now, you will note after infringed, there is no subparagraph A, B, C, D, E, F, G, which would stipulate as to what would be an acceptable infringement. So all infringement is forbidden. Now, who says so? You say so. Do you see that? Does everybody see that? You say so. Who are you? I'm an American. And I'm telling you, you're infringing my rights. You're stealing my rights. I, I, I claim infringement. I claim encroachment. I claim impingement. I claim usurpation. I claim you're stealing my right. Because that's what they're doing. And I ask them, what is it you don't understand about the word infringement? Because that's exactly what it says when you look in Black's Law Dictionary. That's another thing I want to bring up. When you want to talk to these people in court, you want to get a hold of one of these books right here. It's called Black's Law Dictionary you would be absolutely amazed what's in Black's Law Dictionary. This is the exact words. <coughs> Just a second, please, folks. This is the exact words that you need to be able to definitively define the word game problem that we are having with these people today. They like to keep changing the words. But guess what? The words in this book are the words that were written when we were in the Constitution when it was signed. And the definitions that are in this book are enforceable in a court of law. You can bring this book into court and pull it open and say, this is the one, Judge. And they got to listen. And that's the way it is. So for sure, if you're going to be in this, go down to one of your bookstores, uh, whichever you may have in your area, Barnes & Noble or any one of the dozens of decent bookstores, and get a copy of Black's Law Dictionary. You need that to be in this because this is kind of like uh, defining the map of how to get from A to B. You have to have this book to be able to pull it out so that you can turn around and tell them, hey, don't trample my rights. I take a real dim view of that. Another good book you can pick up on the Constitution is this, this American Constitution put out by West Publishing Company. This goes into a whole lot of widened arguments as to your Constitution. Now, after I'm finished talking to you, you're going to have a new concept of Constitution and how it works. You're going to understand that it's what you say it is. If you've got an honest right, now I'll give you a perfect example. Now, the First Amendment basically talks about the right of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, right? 
that isn't the right to work part of right of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness? You've got a right to work, right? Contract your labor, your skill, and your time of life as you see fit, right? Does that make sense to you? That's a First Amendment right. Another First Amendment right would be the right to travel freely unencumbered. See, no state can require you to have a license to travel freely unencumbered, and we'll go into that and show you how that is, is taken care of, okay? The bottom line is you need to learn as much as you absolutely possibly can in the shortest possible time about your Constitution, because I'm telling you right now as we speak, they are trying to curtail that Constitution and take away rights that you have that have been given to you from your forefathers. There's only one thing that's going to stop that. Well, maybe two. There's two things. The first thing that's going to stop that, if all of us get together, get a hold of one of these books and start shaking it and say, whoa, R.C., we're not letting you take away that Constitution. This is America. We got an American flag on a pole out front. Last time I checked, this is the United States of America. We got a constitution here, and you ain't touching that constitution. So you call up that Bill McCollum in Washington, and you tell him he's the guy that sponsored that 666 bill to take away the Fourth Amendment right to, uh, to have a search warrant. You get a hold of him, and I'll give you his number later on in the speech here. And you call that joker up and you say, sir, what is it you don't understand about your oath of office? We'd kind of like you to leave the Constitution alone. Matter of fact, we'd like you to make it stronger than it is, not take nothing away from it, <clears throat> period. And we resent the hell out of you taking an oath of office to protect the Constitution, and we put you in office, and the first thing you do when you get in there is try and scuttle the Constitution and flush it down the toilet. We're not going to put up with that stuff. We want you to understand that real clearly. The second way we can do it is if necessary and proper, our militias can come together and decide to tell these people that are giving aid and comfort to the enemies of our country by breaking down our laws that you have broken the law of Title 18, United States Code, Section 2381, which says that in the presence of two witnesses to the same overt act or in an open court of law, if you fail to timely move to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States and honor your oath of office, you are subject to the charge of capital felony treason, and upon conviction you will be taken by the posse to the nearest and busiest intersection and at high noon hung by the neck until dead. The body to remain in state until dusk as an example to anyone who take their oath of office lightly. You see, without that oath of office, this Constitution is worthless. That's why we have you take that oath of office, so that we know you will honor this oath of office and that you will keep our Constitution. We don't want anybody taking our Constitution away, and we're here to tell you right now, don't do it. We'll take a dim view of it. We probably will charge you. And we're not fooling around. Okay? Now, let's get into some other things in the Constitution. The bottom line here is you have to know to be able to exercise your Constitution. The most important parts about your Constitution are in your first ten amendments, okay? Obviously, the right of the people to keep and carry arms shall not be infringed. And that right shall not be infringed. You must claim your right if you want to have it. You have to be willing to do that. And if they are going to take your right, then you have to be willing to challenge them, whatever it costs. Now, the bottom line is any law that comes in conflict with that, what do we talk about in Article 6, Paragraph 2? If any law shall come in conflict with this, the supreme law, what happens? It's null and void of law. It bears no power to enforce, no obligation to obey, purports to settle as if it never existed, and unconstitutionality dates from the enactment of such a law, not from any date so branded in open court of law. So what happened to the Brady Bill, folks? Canceled due to lack of interest. Okay? What happened to the crime bill with the gun infringements? If any portion of the bill be unconstitutional, the whole bill is unconstitutional. Because why? Repugnancy. Okay? 
It's repugnant to the United States Constitution. It's null and void of law. It bears no power to enforce, no obligation to obey. It purports to settle as it never existed. Which case said so? Marbury versus Madison, 5 U.S. 137, 1803. That's how important that case is. That's why you got to go down to your law library and read. Okay? So Marbury versus Madison is extremely important. It's important that you be able to read the case, understand what they're talking about. Now, other cases that are involved are your rights to due process, like under your Fourth and Fifth and Sixth Amendments, right? The right of the people to be secure in their houses. The right of the people to be secure in their person, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated, and no warrant shall issue, but upon probable cause, supported by oath or affirmation, and particularly describing the place to be searched and the person or things to be seized. And obviously that would imply, that would imply, that would imply that he'd gone before a judge and said, this is the guy, he did it, this is the crime that was done. And this is the evidence we're looking for, Judge, and we'd like to get a warrant, and we're swearing on everything we told you is the God's truth, and then they can come over and they can search till hell freezes over. Okay? Does that sound logical to you? No, that's what Bill 666 is trying to throw out. They don't want you to have that right anymore. Now it's important for you to immediately jump to the Ninth Amendment. What does the Ninth Amendment say? Enumeration in this Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. Now basically what that means in simplest of terms, Congress has no authority to add on to the Constitution in such a way that would take away rights previously guaranteed. What seems to be Mr. McCollum's problem? Does he not read the King's English? Simply spoken, he has no authority to pass this 666 bill. The Congress had no authority to pass this Brady bill. They had no authority to pass this crime bill because it clearly infringed on the United States Constitution. I don't care how noble the issue it was. I don't care how learned the people claimed to be. They weren't learned enough. Because if they were learned, they would have understood the Ninth Amendment forbids adding on to the Constitution by any laws whatsoever that takes away rights that are previously guaranteed. Excuse me. Now, let's go on. Let's hit the Tenth Amendment. The powers not delegated to the United States. What, is there, what are they talking about here? The powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states respectfully or to the people. See, this is a limited contract. This contract is designed to limit government. And when you get into your police powers, you start understanding your police powers. Almost you'll hear this all the time. Well, we have police powers, broad and sweeping police powers. You look up Black's Law Dictionary of Police Powers. It says, the law of eminent domain of a state or political subdivision to enact laws for the common good and welfare and curb crime. And in great big black letters, it says, within constitutional limitations, see the Tenth Amendment. Well, when they're talking about see the Tenth Amendment, this is the Tenth Amendment they're talking about. Now, do they have powers to take away previous rights guaranteed under the Constitution? The answer is obviously no, they don't. Obviously, the Ninth Amendment sets a clear limit on that. What is it these guys don't understand about their Constitution? They pass these Brady bills, they pass these crime bills, they pass these 666 bills to take away your Fourth Amendment right, requiring a search warrant. What is it that they don't understand about the locks on the Constitution? Now, do you see how wise our forefathers were? They knew. They knew history. And they knew that history repeats itself if people forget. So what they did is they set a standard, very importantly, 
toward the end of the contract that clearly stipulated exactly what limits would be there. You see. And it clearly stipulated that no power has existed to take away rights that were previously guaranteed. So how, therefore, is this being done? I'll tell you how it's being done. Cause wants to. And they're not doing it by law. Now, why are they getting away with it? Because most of the people don't know any better. And if you don't know your rights and you don't timely assert them, latches and curse, latches being a species of action where in a party of reasonable intelligence and integrity, having a right to take an action as is prescribed by law, and having failed to timely do so loses our right to proceed. So by you acquiescing, by not jumping up and saying, hey, hold the line, Chester. You ain't touching that Fourth Amendment. You aren't touching that Second Amendment. We're not putting up with that stuff. You took an oath of office, we're going to hold you to it. You violate that oath of office, we're going to charge you with capital felony treason under Title 18 United States Code Section 2381. What difference does it make if they're in open rebellion against the United States or if they're breaking down the laws creating a rebellion? Isn't that giving aid and comfort to the enemies of our country? It most certainly is. And it's called sedition. Treason by sedition. Okay? Now we got to start collaring these guys and telling them, hey... What is it you don't understand about the Constitution and your oath of office? We're going to clearly correct that in the short interim. And if you don't want to fix it, we will remove you. And that's our duty and our responsibility. Now, when Benjamin Franklin walked out of all of the hearings to set up this Constitution, a lady reporter walked up to him and asked him, What is it we have now? And he turned to her and told her, We have a republic if we can keep it. Obviously, the burden is on us to make sure we keep it. So I'm asking you to get a hold of one of these constitutions, and let's plan on keeping it. All right, now let's get into some more of the arguments on the Constitution. Your Fifth Amendment. Let's pull up your Fifth Amendment. No person shall be held to answer for a capital or otherwise infamous crime unless on the presentment or indictment of a grand jury except in cases arising in the land or naval forces or in the militia when in actual service in time of war or public danger, nor shall any person be subject to the same offense be twice put in jeopardy, that's the double jeopardy statute, of life or limb, nor shall be compelled in any crime, criminal case, to be a witness against himself, that's a self-incrimination defense, nor be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, that's your equal protection clause. You have an equal right to all of, the, all of your rights under the law, and you have a right to due process of law. As a matter of fact, if they don't give you due process of law, Title V, United States Code, Section 556D, is clear and specific, and it says if they deny you due process of the law, all jurisdiction ceases automatically. That's, that's Title V, United States Code, Section 556D, also 557, and Section 706 of that code. In other words, if they deny you due process at any time and you can prove it, you can, you can force a showdown and you can turn around and say, well, they might have had jurisdiction at one time, Judge, but they lost it when they denied me due process. All right? Now... The other parts are you cannot deny them life, liberty, property without due process of law, nor shall private property be taken for public use without just compensation. You know, how many times do you hear about that today? I mean, it's incredible. The Sixth Amendment is another important one. All of them are important, but there are more important ones, all right? In all criminal prosecutions, the accused shall enjoy the right to a speedy and public trial by an impartial jury of the state and district wherein the crime shall have been committed, 
which districts shall have been previously ascertained by law, and to be informed of the nature and the cause of the action and accusation, to be confronted with the witnesses against him. That's the right to confront your accusers. To have compulsory process for obtaining witnesses in your favor. That's the subpoena rights. And to have the assistance of counsel for your defense, or you can stand as your own counsel. And I know they tell you that it's a fool that stands as his own counsel, but it's my argument that it's a fool that doesn't. Because I'll tell you why. You know your case better than you, better than anybody. How many times do you hear about gripes between attorneys and the citizens? The biggest gripe they have is, well, he never said nothing about that, or she never said nothing about that. Well, she didn't do this, or she didn't do that. Well, why? Because they don't know the case as good as you do. You're the one that knows your best case. The only thing they know is how to apply the law. So all I'm telling you is learn how to apply the law and your constitutional rights, and then you don't need to do that. The only time you get into trouble is if you run your mouth too much and you get into self-incrimination. So obviously you have to keep your wits about you and watch your mouth. But the bottom line is, actually, I personally believe you are the best person to present the facts of your case because you're the best person that knows all the facts. The only thing you know how to do is how to actually do it in a legal and lawful manner that is recognized by the legal community. And that's really not hard to learn. I can teach you, believe me. All right, the Seventh Amendment. In suits at the common law, where the value in controversy shall exceed $20, the right of trial by jury shall be preserved. It's supposed to say shall remain. And no fact tried by a jury shall be otherwise reexamined in any court of the United States, because the jury is the ultimate trier of fact. Then according to the rules of the common law. Mm -hmm. No, we'll get into that common law argument. There's a lot of heavy arguments around that common law. Basically, I don't want to overwhelm you on the first time out of the chute, because that's not hard to do, okay? Now, the bottom law line of this Constitution is it's all in writing. It clearly represents a contract. I'm asking you to learn your contract. I'm asking you to learn the book. Learn your contract. I mean, when you go to some place to do some work on your car, you read the document that comes with it for the warranty, don't you? Why? Because just in case something goes wrong, you want to be able to bring it back, right? Well, I'm asking you to read the warranty on your Constitution so that you can understand the rights that you have under that Constitution so that if you don't get it right, we can bring it back. Does that make sense to you? All right. Now, it's also important that you understand... But this Constitution is a very unique document, and that this Constitution is supposed to be enforced, and I'm going to teach you some things here right now. This is a program, I don't know how it's coming out here. This right here is representation. I know it's kind of hard to see here, but basically what we're talking about here is this comes from the books that tell the judge how right here and over here this comes and tells the judge how the constitution is to be interpreted this is from the amjuris prudence volumes and this is volume 16 you want the constitutional law section right here constitutional law and you want section 97 and when you start reading it the most important part about it and i'll read it is that a constitution should, relieve, should receive a liberal interpretation in favor of the citizen is especially true with respect to those provisions which were designed to safeguard the liberty and security of the citizen in regard to both person and property. Can you see that? Can you all see that? Is that coming out right here? Over more. Okay. All right. 
to safeguard the liberty and security of the citizen in regard to both person and property. See Note 31, Briars First United States, 273 U.S. 28, and all of these 40 Supreme Court cases hold that axiom. In other words, it's supposed to be liberally enforced in favor of the citizen for the protection of rights and property. Any constitutional provision intended to confer a benefit should be liberally construed in favor of the clearly intended and expressly designated beneficiary. 32. Go down 32. DeJammer versus Hospital Authority of Albany in all of these cases. Okay. You see that? All right. Help me out here. Okay. Is it in? All right. I'm just trying to tell you. You can go look this up and you can better see it. Can you see it clearly now? Okay. All right. Now, let's do that over again. And a constitutional provision intended to confer a benefit should be liberally construed in favor of the clearly intended and expressly designated beneficiary. Similarly, a provision intended... Similarly, a provision intended... To afford a remedy to those who have just... Beneficial construction for the purpose of extending the within the meaning of the terms, and that's Ryder versus of Ohio. That's note number 33. Okay. Now this comes out of 16th Am jurisprudence. In other words, I have this Constitution. This Constitution is a contract in writing enforceable in the court of law pursuant to the statute of frauds. I'm asking for specific performance, Your Honor, in favor of me. I am the beneficiary of the contract. There's also a basic premise in contract law, basic contract law 101 of any first-year law student that says, the contract shall be enforced most favorably in favor of the non-preparer. And that's you. You didn't prepare it. Now, if you believe, honestly, that you have a right, and you can timely bring that right before a proper adjudicated authority, and you can clearly stipulate as to what your right was, guess what? They got to listen. That's the way it is. That's the way it's supposed to be. And I'm telling you, if you know your rights and you timely assert those rights, you have those rights. But if you sit on your haunches and you cry foul, <clears throat> that's terrible. Somebody ought to do something about that. Hey. Be a somebody. Do something about it. Don't sit there telling me that somebody ought to do something about that. Be a somebody. You do something about it. You honestly got an honest bitch. You go out there and you take care of it. Because that's what it takes to be an American. That's what all. That's what it's all about. That's what being an American is all about. That's what separates you from the rest of the whole world. Because Americans, you don't trample on their rights because they're going to come get you. You do not trample on their rights. They won't put up with it. So be an American and don't put up with it. Stand up there and be counted. Now, I want to read the next argument there, which is argument number 98, which basically deals with the effect of an emergency. Argument 98. Does everybody see that there? Get it there? Pretty good. All right. Argument 98. While an emergency cannot create power and no emergency justifies the violation of any of the provisions of the United States Constitution or state constitutions, public emergencies such as economic depression, all right, Go over here to the next page. What happened here? All right. All right. Let's go. For especially liberal construction of constitutional powers, and it has been declared that because of national, 
exigency, it is the policy of the courts in times of national peril so liberally to construe the special powers vested in the chief executive as to sustain and effectuate the purpose thereof, and to that end also more liberally to construe the constituted division and classification of the powers of the coordinate branches of the government, and insofar as may not be clearly inconsistent with the Constitution, right? In other words, they can't be in conflict with the Constitution to vest extraordinary powers in the chief executive. But I'm telling you, on the other hand, a contention that a grave emergency, such as the Depression, should permit construction of the constitutional provisions which would meet the emergency was rejected. In one case, the court holding that neither the legislature nor any executive or judicial officer may disregard the provisions of the Constitution in cases of an emergency where the plain and unequivocal terms of the Constitution present to question of construction as to departures in emergencies. So not even an emergency justifies the taking away of constitutional provisions. And I know you've heard differently. I know you think, well, they got an emergency. They just declare an emergency, and then they, the president issues an executive order. But let me ask you, if it's a repugnant Constitution of the United States, is it a law? No. Who says so? We do. We're the people. It's our country. It's our Constitution. We're the ones that say you can't do that. And we mean it. You better, better listen. All right, now, let's get into the next argument here. Now, I'm, I hope I'm not boring you to tears here, but it's kind of important that we cover these basic things so that you can understand. As to the construction ref with reference to the common law, an important canon of construction is that, that constitutions must be construed with reference to the common law. That means the law of the little people out there, not the corporations, okay? Since it, in most respects the federal and state constitutions did not repudiate but cherished the established common law, this fact has been taken into consideration by the courts in construing certain clauses in a state constitution, such as the provision securing the right to a jury trial. Also provisions in regard to crimes have been interpreted with reference to the common law rule that one that one charged with a crime may be convicted of a lesser offense necessarily included in the crime charge. In such cases, the courts of the state always regard the language in the common law sense. So the common law prevails. Don't let anybody tell you this admiralty law prevails because it only prevails if you get sucked into it. We're not going to let you do that. We're going to teach you how to beat it. The common law also permitted destruction of the abatement of nuisances by summary proceedings. Traffic tickets, folks. That's what a traffic ticket does. It is a writ of assistance, a bill of attainder. It's unlawful in the United States of America. And it was never supposed that a constitutional provision was intended to interfere with this established principle. And although there is no common law of the United States in the sense, who said so? Erie Railroad versus Tompkins. Okay. All right. Of a national customary law, as distinguished from the common law of England, adopted in the several states. In interpreting the federal constitution, recourse may still be had to the aid of the common law of England. It has been said that without reference to this common law, the language of the federal constitution could not be understood. So the common law applies, folks. And we're going to get into that common law heavily in the advanced section, all right? Now let's get back into this. In interpreting the federal constitution adopted by the several states, all right, the recourse may still be had 
to the aid of the common law of England. It has been said that without reference to the common law, the language of the United States Constitution would not be understood. This is due to the fact that this instrument and the plan of government of the United States were founded on the common law as established in England at the time of the Revolution. Okay? Therefore, it is the general rule that the phrases in the Bill of Rights taken from the common law must be construed in reference to the latter. Specifically, the United States Supreme Court has taken the common law into consideration in construing the Fourth Amendment, the Fifth Amendment provisions relating. All right? So the common law is extremely important that we get it, and we will cover that thoroughly. It's important to understand that most of you out there are citizens at the common law. That only only those that understand the differences in admiralty and maritime law, those that are corporations, officers of corporations, or officers of government residing in the District of Columbia, the 14th Amendment duality of citizenship, which is talked about in the case of Erie Railroad versus Tompkins, which is a rather heavy argument. And I will cover that thoroughly with you so that you understand where the traps and the differences are. But for right now, I'm trying to demonstrate to you construction and programming so that you can understand that this Constitution right here is the supreme law of the land. It is a contract in writing. It is enforceable in favor of you. In an open court of law, you are the beneficiary. Okay? I want to give you some basic more points on this AM jurisprudence argument. This is section 114 of the 16th volume of AM jurisprudence second. I'm going to give you a couple more of these sites so that you can understand how powerful a document this is. Okay? Let's go to the next section, which is 115, which is her... Uh, See which one? 117. 117 is the next serious section. They're all serious. By the way, I highly recommend you go down to the law library, grab that 16th volume of jurisprudence, start at section 1, and start paging through to section 300. You will absolutely be astounded. We are now in 16th jurisprudence, second, section 117. And I will read it to you. Basically, various facts and circumstances extrinsic to the Constitution are often resorted to by the courts to aid them in determining its meaning. As previously noted, however, such extrinsic aids may not be resorted to where the provision in the question is clear and unambiguous. In such a case, the courts must apply the terms of the Constitution as written. And they are not at liberty to search for meanings beyond the instrument, which that militia argument and that collective law theory of the Second Amendment is. They're reaching. They're reaching far. All right? Clearly it says in the plain English, the right of the people to keep and carry arms shall not be infringed. Now, what is it you don't understand about the word infringed? They're infringing. The Brady Bill, it's infringement. 1968 Gun Control Act, it's infringing. All of these, uh, the CCW Acts of these states, they're infringing. Who says so? You do. How shall a document be enforced in favor of who? You. When are you going to enforce it? You're the one that is the, the citizen. All power is inherent in the people. You're the one with the power. Enforce your power. All right? Does everybody understand that argument? That's the magnificence. I'm bringing the genie out. We're stroking the bottle here. And I'm going to bring the genie out here in a second. You're going to understand the magnificence of the power of this book. You see, once you understand this is an ironclad contract, once you understand that this is enforceable in the court of law pursuant to the statute of frauds, once you understand you have a right to claim specific performance on the contract, 
Your Honor, I'm demanding my right to keep and carry arms, and that right shall not be infringed. I want specific performance. I am the holder of the contract. It's supposed to be enforced in favor of me. I am the clearly intended and expressly designated beneficiary, the citizen. I want the thing protected in, in favor of my right. Does that make logical sense to you? Now do you start to understand the power of this document? Okay? See, before, you just thought it was a bunch of writing in some, uh, in some uh, textbook that you had to take when you took a civics class in high school in the 11th grade. See, I want you to understand that you don't leave home without this. This is more important than your credit card. Okay? Next, let's get into the next section. I'm going to cover some more of these AM jurisprudence sections so that you can understand. I want to get into uh, section 155. 16th Am Jurisprudence, Second Section 155. Since the Constitution is intended for the observance of the judiciary as well as other departments of government, and the judges are sworn to, to support its provisions, got me, sworn, as an old law of a sworn, the courts are not at liberty to overlook or disregard its commands or countenance, evasions thereof. It is their duty in authorized proceedings to give full effect to the existing Constitution and to obey all constitutional provisions irrespective of their opinion as to the wisdom or the desirability of such provisions and irrespective of the consequences. Thus it is said that the courts should be in our alert to enforce the provisions of the United States Constitution and guard against their infringement by legislative fiat or otherwise. In accordance with these basic principles, the rule is fixed that the duty in the proper case to declare a law unconstitutional cannot be declined and must be performed in accordance with the deliberate judgment of the tribunal before which the validity of the enactment is directly drawn into question. If the Constitution prescribes one rule and the statute another and a different rule, it is the duty of the courts to declare that the Constitution and not the statute governs in cases before them for judgment. Does everybody understand that? He's, they're telling the judge, you got a rule in favor of the Constitution. And if you know your Constitution, whose favor are they going to rule in? Yours. But you have to have enough hair on your tail feather to walk in there and say, hey, I'm an American. And I have a constitutional right. That right shall not be infringed. And you're infringing. And I'm asking you not to do that because it's not nice. And I'm asking the judge to do his duty under his sworn oath of office and uphold the United States Constitution as he swore he would under Article 11, Paragraph 1 in this state, which says that he shall swear to protect and defend the Constitution from all enemies, foreign and domestic, and he will perform his duties to the best of his ability, so help him God. Now, let's get closer to so help him God. Now, let's get into another one of these. We've got a load of them, folks, so let's bear with me here. 16th Am Jurisprudence, 2nd Section 177. Declaratory judgments. Declaratory judgment actions have often been utilized to test the constitutionality of a statute and government practices. The Uniform Declaratory Judgments Act makes specific provisions of the determination of construction or validity of statutes and municipal ordinance by declaratory judgment and is considered to furnish a particularly appropriate method for the determination of controversies relative to the construction and validity of the statutes. 
and of ordinances. The Federal Declaratory Judgment Act, although it does not mention declarations as to the construction or validity of the statutes, has been invoked frequently as a means of assaying the constitutionality of congressional legislation. A plaintiff can have a declaratory judgment action on the constitutionality of either the federal or state statute by a single federal judge. So long as he does not ask to have the operation of the statute enjoined, you can't enjoin a constitutional right. A court may grant declaratory relief unless there is a case of controversy before the court. That is, the dispute must consist of specific adverse claims based upon present rather than future or speculative facts on which to base the adjudication. All right? I'm trying to tell you folks here, you have a right to demand a declaratory judgment, which we are going to do in several of our cases here. And they got to declare. Is it constitutional or isn't it constitutional? If it's constitutional, it has to be judged in favor of who? You, the citizen. Why? Because you're the, the beneficiary. It's supposed to be enforced in favor of you, the beneficiary, the citizen, for the protection of rights and property. See Byers versus United States, 273 U.S. 28. And the 40 Supreme Court cases that support that mandate. Okay? Now let's get, there's just a couple more here. Bear with me. I know you're probably bored to tears right now, but I don't want you to do that. I want you to pay attention. Okay, we're at section 255. 16th Amateur Jurisprudence, section 255. In all instances where the court exercises its power to invalidate legislation on constitutional grounds, the conflict of the statute with the Constitution must be irreconcilable. The Brady Bill. Irreconcilable. Huh? In other words, the court is without authority to declare a statute unconstitutional unless it is in positive or direct conflict with the statute or with the Constitution. Thus, a statute is not to be declared unconstitutional unless so inconsistent with the Constitution they cannot be enforced without a violation thereof. Because that would be violating the Constitution. We can't have that. What happened in Marbury versus Madison? 5 U.S. 137. Same thing. A clear incompatibility between law and the Constitution must exist before the judiciary is justified in holding the law unconstitutional. This principle of, is, of course, in line with the rule that doubts as to constitutionality should be resolved in favor of the constitutionality and the beneficiary, you, the citizen for the protection of your rights and property. Okay? Does everybody pick up on that? Now, let's, let's skip to 256. 256, right here. The general rule is that an unconstitutional statute, whether federal or state, though having the form and name of law, is in reality no law, but is wholly void and ineffective for any purpose, since unconstitutionality dates from the time of the enactment and not merely from the date of the decision so branding it. And wouldn't it be interesting if 34, 34, where's 34? There's 33, where's 34? Here's 34. There's 35, right here's 34. State X Rel versus Nguyen V. Greer. But I'll tell you what, Marbury versus Madison comes higher than that, okay? All right, 34. Let's cover that again. And ineffective for any purpose. Since the unconstitutionality dates from the time of the enactment and not merely from the date of the decision so branding it, an unconstitutional law in legal contemplation is as inoperative as if it never had been passed. The Brady Bill. The Crime Bill. The Tax Day is coming. Oh, no. 
But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.